Metallica. Here they come, the kings of metal. This is Johnny Z, and you're listening to Metal Up Your Podcast. Welcome to Melker Podcast. I am Ethan Luck. And I'm Kid Rock again. Kid Rock is back with us for episode 323, where we're going to be capping out, capping out, capping off the 30th anniversary shows. This is night four. Night four. We're wrapping up our wonderful series on the 30th anniversary shows, some of the most bizarre shows in Metallica's history, and yet we've covered them in excruciating detail. Spoiler I'm not Kid Rock. I'm Clint Wells. Hold the applause. Hold the applause, please. Oh, they're not going to do it, man. The studio audience audience refuses to hold the applause. People are standing in their living rooms, in their cars that they were previously just driving, and of course already in their showers where they're peeing and sobbing at the same time. Shout out to Brad Blazik, who told me he pees and cries in the shower. Hey, man. Well, sometimes you don't have time to, to you know do those throughout the day, so you got to you know knock it out in one go. Well, I added the crying part, but he did tell me he pees in the shower, and he only told me that because I admitted to him that I pee in the shower, and I basically demanded that he confess to me that he also does it. I think it's weird if you don't pee in the shower, to be honest. Well, I mean, you've heard this before, but there's two types of people in the world, those who pee in the shower and those who lie. All I know is this. First thing in the morning, you got to go real bad. You drink a lot of water before bed. You get in the shower and you pee. The first thing on your mind... I can feel it. I can feel it. Yeah, so, I think that's what Hot Summer Nights is about, actually. It is, yeah. Well, because that guy only showers at night, so pee is hot. There you go. Well, welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to bring to a conclusion these four very interesting shows, these very deep-cut, heavy, guest-heavy Metallica shows. A lot of interesting dynamics between the band members. Very interesting time in the band's history. So we're going to cover that. If you've been here on the ride with us, which I'm sure you have, you know what the deal is. If you're new to the show, welcome to the show. We talk about Metallica every week, despite being very, very busy professional musicians. Now, that's what someone said about me. Yeah, a few people have said that about us. And listen, I'm not going to I'm not going to argue with them, but those are I know why they said it. Because it's true. Yeah, well, it happens to be a, you know irrefutable, indelible fact of life. Well, and, and, and about a week from this episode is dropping, We are, our professional musician asses will be back on the road with Morgan Wade, which will be really fun. So what that means is Johnny Sword's going to be back on the show real soon. It's got me questioning my whole life. I was texting with a friend of mine. His name's Dwight Baker. He produces all of Bob Schneider's records. He, go look him up. His I'm his uh, not IMDb. His all music credits are insane. He drummed for Enrique Iglesias. He done he's done a bunch of great shit. And uh, we were texting about it this morning, and he was texting me and saying he was really proud of me. He's kind of checking out what's going on with old Morgan Wade. Yeah, I told him. I said, man, I'm scared. I'm scared to go. My daughter's eight years old, mm-hmm. and there are times when I look at my life and I wonder if I'm making a huge mistake. All <laughs> right. I mean, listen, especially in the country world, you've done it a lot longer than I have, but the amount of time we're about to be gone isn't very common in the country world. Usually they're doing weekend shows, maybe two weeks in the West Coast, maybe two weeks down in Australia or something or, or Europe. So it is a very long tour. It's a rock tour. It's, you know, we're looking at seven to eight weeks on the road. But uh, listen, buddy, you know, we're here for each other. We're going to we're gonna do our best to have a good time. And uh, 
Well, and forge yeah, on. we're going to be fine when we're like having fun playing shows. But will you be there for me when I'm 60 and my daughter won't talk to me because I abandoned her in the most crucial time of her life? That's what I'm worried about. Uh, I am trying to speed this episode along. You can leave this in the show because daddy's going camping this weekend. and I'm leaving as soon as we finish this. Hell yeah. A much, I haven't camped in a year. Uh, speaking of being depressed and, and fearful and existential about all the regret of choosing to spend my life on the road with knuckleheads like you. Camping is what soothes the soul. Absolutely. Camping is what helps me. And we're also moving during all of this. So stress levels are at an all-time high in my life. Yeah, they are. They are. But yeah, and you, listen, you know I'll be there for you on tour and when you're 60 years old and your daughter won't talk to you. No problem. We'll see. I, I just printed out a receipt from you saying that. And okay. I, will, I will come looking for your ass <laughs> in 20 years and we'll hey, see no, what's up. No problem. No problem. God. It's less than 20 years until I'll be 60. Fuck, I hate that. Yeah, I was talking about me. Right, well. Yeah, I'm the star of my movie. Uh, Sorry. You're just a, <laughs> you're just one of the other characters. I'm just an extra. <laughs> you're not an extra. You're a main character. Okay, fair, fair. I'll but take you're it. not the star, that's for sure. Okay, well, it's your story. Yeah, I mean, nor am I the star of your movie or anyone else's movie. Right. You know, there's an entire branch of philosophy of people who believe that the only person that actually exists is themselves. All right, so, yeah, going camping. Going to be good for clearing the mind, feeling good. We're going to get into this Metallica stuff. I'm excited. Um, we've got a couple of new patrons that I want to say thank you to. Thank you to Mohammed Karimian, Jason Gudamut, and Colton Brazier. Thank you, guys. Ooh, thank you guys so much. We're on all the socials. You know where to find us. Get on the socials. Have fun. Get in some arguments with maybe your uncle and uh, someone you, you maybe vow to never see again. And then you'll never see your family again at Thanksgiving because of who they voted for. So that's <laughs> exactly. where we are. You can find us there. Easiest way to get a hold of us, as since day one, when Samim sent that first fateful email in that's 2017, right. January 2017, New Year's Day 2017, yeah. is Metal Up Your Show at gmail.com. We're going to check in with the community and then we're going to burn down the fourth night of the 30th anniversaries. Let's hit it. <laughs> Okay, our first email is from Andrew uh, Butzelis. Hey, Clint and Ethan, I hope you gentlemen are doing well. I thought it was really interesting hearing both of your top 10 band lists in the last episode. There's some overlap with some of all, my all-time favorites and wanted to hear your thoughts on two groups you don't talk about much. Clint, I was surprised to hear Pink Floyd so high on your list. Curious as to, as to some of your favorite records slash songs by them. Animals is in my top five all-time albums. Do you dip much into the early stuff? I'm a huge fan of Obscured by Clouds, and people generally want to talk to me about that record even less than they want to talk to me about Reload. Saw Roger Waters at MSG this summer, and goddamn, that was one of the best live shows I've ever been to. Alas, it was impossible not to think about how perfectly Gilmore's sweet compliments Roger's savory. Shame to hear the recent news of them trading barbs in the press again. Well, what do you think, Clint? What's... Uh do you dip much into those early records? Well, I don't consider Obscure by Clouds one of the, like, when people say early Floyd, they talk about Sid Barrett. So they're right. talking about Piper at the Gates of Dawn, their first album, an album called A Saucer Full of Secrets. I find all of that kind of unlistenable. Yeah, same. I do not ever listen to any of those records. I mean, I did when I was a kid, and I kind of thought I had to. But now as a ripe old 39-year-old, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm not into it. I just don't like it. I'm Gilmore all the way. Mm -hmm. And Obscure by Clouds is what I think begins their middle period. Yeah. So you've got Obscure by Clouds, which is an obscure record because it's a soundtrack. Most people don't. They did a lot of soundtrack work mm -hmm. in the late 60s. So, But then they do an album called Metal, M-E-D-D-L-E, -E, and there's a song on that album called Echoes, and that's basically them signaling what would become Dark Side of the Moon. Right. So then in the 70s, you have, you know, 72, 75, 77, 79, you got Dark Side, 
you've got Wish You Were Here, Animals, The Wall. Yeah. Probably the best four album run of any band I can think of. Absolutely, yeah. Metallica's up there. For sure, yeah. Lightning, the, Lightning the Black album is close to like as good as it gets. Mm-hmm. Maybe, um, man, maybe War, Unfor- War, Unforgettable Fire, Joshua Tree, Octane Baby. That's a yeah. four album run. That, that's a great one. That's probably one of the best of all time. But anyway, back to Pink Floyd. Huge fan. I, I know every millisecond of every record from Obscure by Clouds up through the Division Bell. And shockingly, and this might even discredit all the cred I just tried to build up of a Pink Floyd fan. My favorite Pink Floyd album is The Division Bell. Yeah. Which is their last album from 1994. And it has my favorite Pink Floyd song called High Hopes, which is the last song on that album. So I love it all. I love Momentary Lapse of Reason, which is the first Waters-less record. But can't deny all the Waters stuff. I mean, he's a little too cold for me. He's like a little dark even for me. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And I'm a guitar player, so I was always drawn to the guitar playing. Now as a songwriter and as a guy that's getting older, I, I really see where he's coming from more. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate how fucking great his lyrics are. Yeah. Like his lyrics jump off a page just without music. Until pretty recently, I've been pretty fond of him like as a thinker and as a guy. But now there's a bunch of really weird shit going on there between is, yeah. between him and David Gilmore's wife, Polly Sampson. Right. And also, Roger Waters is re-recording The Dark Side of the Moon without any guitar solos. Apparently it's done. Like I, I, I saw the, the stuff coming up in the news between the two of them. Well, mostly, you know, him and, you know, Gilmore responded via Twitter confirming somebody's thoughts on, on Roger Waters or whatever. But that was his wife. It was. Oh, so his wife is running the Twitter account. Well, his wife from her own Twitter account said Roger Waters is a lying, anti-Semitic, you know, chauvinistic, thieving. She just listed the worst things about a person you can be. Ah, uh, okay, copy that. And yeah. in her litany of insults, even accuses him of lip syncing. Now, David Gilmore, this is what made the news is, you know, people scour the internet for this shit. Well, David Gilmore liked the post, right? So now in, in the in the new world, liking something is now, you know, you're basically endorsing it. So then so then all the ner- all the Pink Floyd nerds were like, Oh, David, did you see David Gilmore liked the post? And then David Gilmore retweeted it and wrote, Every word of this is unequivocally or whatever, you know, has been proven. Yeah. So for all of us out here wondering, maybe old Dave and Roger are going to get back together. It's signified this week, like, okay, it's over. That's never happening. Yeah. I mean, it's just over. And because the things that she accused them of are so, they're just the worst things. Yeah. um, That you can say about somebody. Now, people think all sorts of things. Who knows what everyone out there thinks about me? People used to write in emails and tell me exactly what they thought about me. Some of them weren't real nice. Yeah. But to say them out loud publicly and then for David to basically co-sign it and say, yeah, I mean, there's just no coming back from that. There really is no coming back from that, man. It really sucks. But uh, I mean, in a situation like this, man, it's like, yeah, things have gotten nutty with those two, especially Waters. And I'm just going to go back to the 70s and really enjoy those four records, especially. Well, who wants to see these old assholes do it again anyway? Like, he can hardly sing. Now, I've seen his version of The Wall and it like the production is crazy. Yeah. And he's got a great band and it's a great little version. You know what I mean? It's a great little facsimile of Pink Floyd. Sure. But you know, you know me, dude, I'm not really that kind of guy. Yeah. I mean, dare I even utter the word scam Terra? Mm hmm. Right. Did exactly. I say scam Terra? Sorry. I, that's not fair. Of me. You said, I meant you to said say, scam Terra. I did. I meant to say sham Terra. It's not my thing. I don't need to go see 
some version of it do cemetery gates. I'm not even into the new kiss thing. Now I, I'm not going to mm-hmm. petition anyone to stop anything, but I'm not, I'm not paying to go see whatever this weird version of kiss is where Paul Stanley's singing the tracks and you got Tommy Thayer wearing the spaceman makeup and you got Eric, uh, Eric, whatever his last name is wearing the Catman stuff. Yeah. Take it to the people, have fun, and God knows, make your money, because that's all it is. Do I want to yeah. watch David Gilmore and Roger Waters get wheelchaired out so that they can sing some crazy version of Wish You Were Here and pay $500 a ticket to do it? I don't. At least. At least, yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, the last, I mean, they had that reunion thing they did at Hyde Park. I think it was like 08 or something like that. That was a great performance, and that's like the last time that those dudes were together. It was fine. It wasn't even really that good. It was fine. I mean, I, of course, was glued to it like any other Pink Floyd. I've been a Pink Floyd fan since I was like 12. My dad used to show me, I mean, one of the, I could count on one hand the nice things my dad ever did for me. But one of them was he sat me down in front of a television and made me watch Pulse, which was the Division Bell tour. And that was my introduction to those songs. I didn't even know who Roger Waters was because that was a Roger Waterless iteration of Pink Floyd. And then there were three. Once that happened, I just did what you do. I'm sure you did it when you were 10, 11, 12, and your dad gave you a guitar and hipped you to whatever. You just start digging into the records because you don't have a lot of time to do anything else. Like all your time yeah. is spent just pursuing joy. Yeah, exactly. No, that, that's exactly what you do. And you, yeah, you, your dad or whoever turns you on one thing and then you just go down that rabbit hole. I just could not get enough of it. I mean, I, those records to me are still some of the deepest, most rewarding listens of all music I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. And I agree with I agree with Andrew. I mean, animals, if I had to choose one of those, I'd probably choose Wish You Were Here. If I had to choose one of those great 470s records. But, I mean, they're all for some of the best ever. Absolutely. And, and back in the 70s, I mean, just imagine what else was coming out that time. I mean, they were doing some groundbreaking stuff with those records, man. Yeah, I mean, they were they were earth-shattering. I mean, the 70s, I, as far as I'm concerned, is the greatest decade of recorded music ever. Yeah, I agree. So, I mean, they were just being born in the same fire of Sabbath and the Eagles and Led Zeppelin and Randy Newman. And, I mean, you, the list could go on forever. All the Elton John 70s stuff. Mm-hmm. The list really is kind of endless. Yes. Tom Petty was there and Dylan was doing great shit in the 70s. So Kiss was there. I mean, they were all there. Yeah, absolutely. But no one was doing it quite like that on, on 100% on their own terms. Really challenging material. Really challenging material. Oh, yeah, for sure. And uh, a lot of that lyrically, of course, was Roger. Now, I, I, I fuck with the, uh, the David Gilmore era. I fuck with Momentary Lapse of Reason. Um, there's a great song on that album called Sorrow. Yeah. And then I, of course, go really hard in the paint with the division bell. So yeah. anyway, I won't bore everyone too much. I'm excited to talk about Pink Floyd. Obviously, I sort of lit up like a little Christmas tree here with this yeah. Pink Floyd talk. But, <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> um, well, but anyway, all right. So then next, he, I think he wants to talk to you about the Chili Peps. Yeah, he says, wildly, it took the release of Unlimited Love and Dream Canteen to shoot the Chili Peppers up to my number two on the list. I can't get over a band being around as long as Metallica. They started in 82 and pumping out a quantity of inspired, fresh music at this point in the game. Do you have a favorite album slash era of the band? Do you ever uh, get down with the first three records? Also, is there any other singer in the history of popular music who has their voice, uh, who had their, their voice mature and evolve more than Anthony Kiedis from sex rap to hard to concentrate? It's a pretty wild jump. Well, I mean, my favorite era, uh, and Blood Sugar Sex Magic, I'm going to have to say is my favorite record overall. But I think my favorite era is the one-two punch of Californication into By The Way. I was just talking to Clint about this the other way, but the, the album By The Way I've been listening to like crazy lately. And it's just really, really amazing. Like the first eight tracks are like just banger after banger after banger. 
Um, just great songs. And I think Anthony Kiedis has come a really long way from those early records. I've got, the, the, I think, the second, second, third, and fourth record on vinyl. It was like the first Chili Peppers records I got when I first started collecting records. And um, other than Mother's Milk, like, they're fine. They're like, it's just really chaotic funk, metal, rap, kind of whatever genre that is. And uh, it, some of it is kind of unlistenable, honestly, I say as an as a, as a admiring fan. But I think once uh, Blood Sugar came out, that was kind of like, they're a whole new band at this point. And then they, I think they, their songs just got better and better as their career went on. And Unlimited, uh, Unlimited Love is uh, no exception. That's a great record that came out last year. But yeah, I mean, listen, I'll talk Chili Peps too. I love that band so much. But Andrew also says, here's his top 10 bands and artists since no one asked. Uh, top 10 bands, number one, Metallica, two, Chili Peppers, three, Led Zeppelin, four, The Beatles, five, Pink Floyd, six, The Doors, seven, The Rolling Stones, eight, Motorhead, nine, The White Stripes, 10, The Pretty Things. Top 10 artists, number one, Neil Young, number two, Bob Dylan, number three, Jack White, four, Tom Waits, five, Bill Withers, six, Jimi Hendrix, seven, Paul Simon, eight, Tom Petty, nine, Otis Redding, and ten, Miles Davis. Good lists. Really good list, Andrew. Thanks for writing in, dude. All right, Joe Zappi says, good day, sirs. I love the mellow vibes of the cover Our World Black NDPs and was curious if you would cover St. Anger, make it better, and call it St. Mellow. Joe Zappi, <laughs> Walkertown, North Carolina, New Jersey. Well, I mean, it's it's listen, anything's possible in this crazy world. Well, I covered The Unnamed Feeling on you Volume did. 1. That's it's right. actually track one on Volume 1. And uh, I think I did a great job. I think it's a superior version. The songs the songs work nice, slowed down. I don't know about the song St. Anger. That's not one I gravitate towards. Yeah, their, their songs do lend. I mean, we've both kind of done that vibe on all, all those EPs. Is, is just slow them down, make them vibey, make them cool. You know, reimagine them. Because it's like, I'm not going to do a, a cover of, you know, Red Lightning and play it exactly the same. Our friends Hailstorm did do that, though. They did do that. And if you're going to do it, at least crush it, which they did. I mean, yeah. they did a great job on that. You automatically get to sort of, you get a free pass if you have a female singing it. Oh, for sure. For sure. But like Corey, uh, the guy from Slipknot, what's his last name? Corey Taylor. Corey Taylor doing, uh, what did he do? He did Holier Than Now, and I think they've done Creeping Death. And it just sounds like they're just playing the song the way it goes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it sounds the same. It's just boring as fuck. And I like him. I like Slipknot. Yeah, of course. Same. Me too. The Blacklist is a good example of, you know, you've got a mix of guys like Corey doing the cover verbatim to Jason Isbell's rad cover to Chris Stapleton's Nothing Else Matters, things like that. Just kind of reimagine, making it their own. And that's kind of what we try to do with those those EPs. All right, cool. Thanks. All right, next email is from Samwal Abbas, our good buddy Samwise. Sam, Samwise says, what's up, brothers? Well, let me tell you something, brother. So this year, a lot of anniversary stuff. Ten years ago, I heard Fade to Black for the first time in my life. Me and a buddy used to share the songs on Bluetooth. Remember those days? And he sent a song called Fade to Black by Metallica. I thought, oh, hey, I know that band. And man, that song was life-changing. Still to this day, Kirk's opening solo makes me feel like I'm 14 years old again, and I'm still very emotionally attached to that song, and especially that solo. Five years ago, I started listening to Mel Up Your Podcast. I think it, uh, I was on YouTube and found it on there. Then I started listening to it on Spotify. I've been here since. Well, thank you. 15 years ago, we got Death Magnetic, which I really, really like a lot, despite how much it hurts to listen to it full volume. Uh, I just want to say thank you, guys, uh, thank you so much for five years of bringing a smile to my face on this, of this metalhead from Pakistan who wish he knew more people who like the same band as he does. And it always feels like I'm hanging out with my two buddies every Monday. Your Shire pal, Samwise, and he also goes on to say, postscript, uh, when the Turn the Page episodes, uh, when's the Turn the Page episode with Morgan happening? Also, every time you read my emails, please never stop doing the whole Lord of the Rings thing. It's fucking hilarious. Well, as you wish. Go for it, Ethan. Oh, Sam, I think that in the near future, 
uh, her maiden Morgan Wade could potentially be uh, on the uh, podcast. Carl Goetz, or is it Carl Goetz? I'm going to choose to say Carl Goetz because Goetz. Goetz is cool. Hey, guys, how about that as a band name? Just Goats. Goats. That's a pretty cool band name. Just plural. Just Goats. Yeah. Love it. Um, all right. Hey, guys, listening to your Screaming Suicide episode today, the first I heard the first I heard the intro, I started singing Born Into Attitude without even thinking about it. So I like that you threw that in that comparison. I don't even remember that we did that. Same. Love the new songs. Love what you guys are doing. Carl from Menominee Falls, Wisconsin. Menominee. Well, thanks, Carl, for writing in. We really appreciate it, dude. Next email is from Colton Brazier. Hey, gang, I'm stoked to be back on the old Patreon train. Well, thank you very much. Choo-choo. Choo-choo, motherfucker. Uh, I really appreciate all the work you guys put into the show. You really make Mondays a treat, which is saying a lot. Here's a fun discussion question for you. Which Metallica album do you guys think is the most important they've released in their career? I would say Death Magnetic, maybe because I have a personal connection with this one, being it was the first new album that was released after I became a fan. But I honestly feel like this reminded me, boys, that they are special. Those post St. Anger days were really rough. It seemed like they didn't have much have that fire anymore, and the direction of the band felt uncertain. Fast forward to the band post-Death Magnetic, and up until now, uh, they've got fire oozing out of every performance. Death Magnetic helped them get past their midlife crisis and into the, re- uh, the redemptive celebratory stage they find themselves in now. And me likey. That's a little Clint quote for you there. Anyways, thanks for everything, you guys. I really appreciate your your friendships, and I hope to re- to connect with you both in person at some point in the future. Your friend Colton. Also, are there any Metal Tales slots available? I'm planning on seeing the boys in Arizona. If any of those are available, I'd love to join. Good opportunity to tell the good people what the Metal Tales are. Well, the Metal Tales, if you're a patron, you can hop on board, and what you can do is come on the show with either me or Clint, talk about a show you've been to, past or present. Right now, we're focusing on the M72 tour, so sign up for Patreon. Hit us up, at, uh, message us there on the socials or email us and let us know what show you want to come to. They are filling up. Recently, we announced which ones were available. And I got to tell you, it's filling up real quick. Colton, I've already added to Arizona, it looks like. But I mean, there's only, uh, there's probably 10 shows left, something like that. So hop on board and uh, get involved with this, everybody. I'm currently investing millions of Metal Free Podcast bucks into having a robot do the Metal Tales. That's right. Like a robot instead of us. Hello. Sign up. Welcome talk to the Metal to... Podcast robot. Yeah, there he is. Yeah, the robot. <laughs> Tell us your Metallica story, please. <laughs> I mean, I can make a case of the first six Metallica albums. I can make a case for why each one is important. Like, they may be their most important. I don't know if any record after that can be their most important. Mm-hmm. Kill Em All, obviously, debut album. Without that, there is no Metallica. Sure. So that's pretty important. Not to mention, pretty good songs on there. Yeah, Songs sure. that they still play to this day. A song like Seeking Destroy, they could end every show with. It's like, yep. do I want to hear that personally? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying it's that good. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, for, for sure. Lightning, I can make the case that the jump between the band they were in 82 and 83 to 84 and that Seven Days of Hell tour, making that second album, how much they matured as a band and as songwriters, because they've got some pretty good bangers that they can play live, some good party songs, Hit the Lights and Seek and Destroy, We're Gonna Come and Kick Your Ass in Our Leather Pants and stuff. But album number two have got like some of the all-time great metal songs ever. Yes, agreed. Creeping Death, For Whom the Bell Tolls, Fade to Black. This, I would, then I would say there's a second tier containing Ride the Lightning and Fight Fire. Mm-hmm. And there's a and maybe Cthulhu. And then you got the third tier with Trapped Under Ice and Escape. Am I leaving one off? Did I name every song on that album? I hope I'm not leaving one off. The, did you, the song Ride the Lightning? Yeah, I, I put that in tier okay, two. That, I think that's it. It's an eight-song record. So. so Okay, so there's the case for Lightning, right? The jump 
the jump is just so wild. One of the best jumps ever. Yes. I'm trying to even think of another jump that good. Maybe The Cure had a pretty good jump between like something like Pornography and Faith. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Puppets is probably the best metal album ever. Yeah, I think so. In fact, there's only one other album I would put it up against, and that's also on this list, but we'll leave that for right now. Okay. So Puppets, you have just, you know, probably the most, if, if aliens land on Earth and said, what is Fash Metal? You would probably play them Puppets. Yes, yes, you would. Now, so there's the argument for that being their most important. Justice is important because Cliff passed away, as we all know. Mm-hmm. And it was such an important part of the band. That wasn't some guy that's replaceable, that's easily replaceable. Justice is them showing the world we can still be a band, we can get new blood and still be great. And not only still be great, we can keep moving forward. We can keep discovering what's possible with Metallica. Yes. And progressively, their most ambitious record, I think Pound for Pound has Kirk's most uh, you know, ambitious solos. They all get landed. And you've got a song like One, which might be their best song of all time. Mm-hmm. You could probably throw Blackened in that sauce. But honestly, actually, I think if you start putting those two together, One is a better example of how broad they are. Yes, agreed. Yeah, maybe One and Master of Puppets, I would say. Yeah, th- th- and those two songs structurally are pretty similar. Yeah. Okay, moving along. Black Album, the most popular the most well-known, globally celebrated, broad metal album ever made. Mm -hmm. No one comes close. Right. Even like something like Vulgar Display, which I think is probably Pantera's version of that. Yeah. It really doesn't come close to the Black Album. No, nothing nothing really comes close to it. What's the what's the Megadeth one with Symphony of Destruction? What's Countdown? Countdown to Extinction, yeah. I mean, you know that in my small little place that I have for Megadeth, which is a very tiny closet in the in the house of my life, mm-hmm. there's a little shining spot in there for that record because I love Sweating Bullets. Yeah. And I love the song Symphony for Destruction. Right. But it doesn't come close to the Black Album. No, it doesn't, unfortunately. Like, the only thing that touches a Black Album would maybe be Back in Black, or Highway to Hell. Yeah. Or maybe like Paranoid. Yeah, probably. I mean, it, it is the, it's the, like the most successful metal record. And, and I don't know, do you even call, you know, Back in Black a metal record? You know, I think, I mean, right. if you got to choose one to, to be the most important, I'm, I'm, I would probably go with the Black Album. Well, because it's, their, it's the biggest metal album ever made. It took them to the world and it solidified them as household names. And think about yeah. all the ways that that benefited the genre of metal, not just Metallica. Mm-hmm. And I've heard a lot of these other guys say that. The doors that were opened, you know, because of Metallica. I, I think so far there's a case for all five of these. Yeah. I, I think I think I could make a case for Load because after an after you make an album like the Black Album, it almost dooms you because you're never going to top it. Yeah, where do you go from there? Where do you go? Now, a few bands have topped masterpieces. I mean, think about think about 1979 and you're an ACDC fan and Highway to Hell comes out and blows your little fucking mind (laughs) out of your fucking brain. Yeah. Now, I'm talking about blowing your mind out of your brain. Okay. Because the mind is like the sort of intangible idea of yourself. Your brain is like the actual organ. Right. It'd be like blowing your soul out of your fucking chest. That's what Highway to Hell did. Right. Then the juice, the guy dies and has a really kind of strange voice and you're like wow this band is fucked yeah they're done and whatever eight months later brian johnson comes up and they make a little record called back in fucking black (laughs) yeah seriously i mean it's no joke so that's an example i mean we could sit here and really think of the examples there are examples but a band like metallica to have made the black album it's almost like dude we're fucked what are we going to do and i love what they did now it had mixed mixed reviews although load was incredibly successful a bunch of big hits and stuff but I know a lot of trues got off the... If you thought the Black Album was bad news, 
But if you thought fucking fade to black was bad news, then load's really going to bum you out. <laughs> yes, and seriously. then all the people bummed about load and reload didn't even know that St. Anger is about to be jammed right up their asses either. Yeah. Like, St. Anger makes load and reload look like master puppets, in my opinion. <laughs> it really does. You're, you're right. So load, what load did even more than the black album, in my opinion, was ex- continue to explode what the idea of Metallica was. Like it was them saying, look, we're going to be lots of different things. And we're going to do a lot of different things at a really fucking high level. And we're going to evolve as artists because we're not just little trues that are still stuck at Ruthie's Kill the Posers Lodge or whatever that was. Yeah, We're not going to be relegated to a, a Bay Area fucking hole in the wall. Yeah, exactly. We're going to be the what Lars called affectionately and what James called with derision. But what I see is a nice thing. The U2 of metal. Yeah, for sure. And I take it even further, and I've well documented on this podcast, I think they're the fucking Beatles of metal. Yep. Yeah, they 100% are. I and absolutely I think agree. Load and Reload are c- continue to explore that. Like, I don't think you're the Beatles of metal if you just keep churning out master puppets over and over. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's my case for the top six. They wouldn't be the band, they wouldn't be the band that they, they are today if they didn't start exploring things. If after Justice they made another Justice or another Puppets. Boring. Like, like it, I'm sure y'all, you know, it, it'd be a rad record and maybe thrashy and fast and all that stuff but like i love that they made the black album and you know i love that it opened all these doors for all these other bands you know and even if there's bands out the metal bands out there that dog that era it's like well motherfucker that you probably wouldn't be around if it wasn't for that record they did i mean you can go and look up slayer and pantera interviews where they're they're dogging the black album yeah well i mean that's shitty of course but because it's like dude if it wasn't for that record like even looking at, you know, some, you know, like Megadeth, you know, Countdown and Euthanasia, like those were slowed down. Those weren't thrash records, but somehow Metallica gets all the shit for it, right? But Yeah, I agree. And and I also think like it's not like the whole record's the Unforgiven. Yeah. Like you know, you want loud and hard and fast and heavy. Let me point you towards a song called Sabbath True. Let me point you towards Holier Than Thou. Let me point you towards Struggle Within and Through the Never. Mhm. Yep. You know, like it's just it's yeah, I get it. They had a song on MTV called Inner Sandman. Yeah. Boo hoo. Oh, bummer. No bummer. My my favorite band's still making cool music. I know, man. I know. Well, anyway, um, sounds sounds like you're saying Black Album. I don't see how Saint Anger could be their most important album. Now, is it important that they survived it? Yes, sure. But their most important album. How how is that possible when they made the record called Master of Puppets? How mm-hmm. Death Magnetic? I see the point. Like low point for them. Their next move after Saint Anger, pretty important, I think. Yeah, absolutely like, it is. I was off the ride, but I remember I've told the story many times, getting the record, being very excited. I shouted their back. And that is important. But I I don't know if it's more important than any of the previous ones. And then Hardwired and 72 Seasons, I don't I don't, I don't know how to assign a lot of importance to them. The importance that what I think is important spiritually about Hardwired is that their 10th album was as good as it was. Mm-hmm. And they were able to I think it was a I think it was a combination of the album being better than everyone expected. I think they knew it was good, but I think they didn't think it would be as received received as well. Right. And then I think us as the audience were like, wow, this really rips like and it sounds great. So for them to take that on a three year stadium tour. Yeah, pretty wild. Really on the strength of that album, because it wasn't just legacy shit. Like they really kind of toured that album. They played like seven, eight songs from that album a night. Oh, yeah, they absolutely did. They didn't ignore that. Yeah, it wasn't like, hey, put because, you know, they did that with Death Magnetic. On the World Magnetic Tour, they they played that album. Oh, yeah. And everyone was excited. I was going to say, I, I remember seeing that show in Australia and on that tour, on the World Magnetic Tour, and just thinking like, Good day, mate. Good day, mate. It just was like insane that they were they were playing like five or six songs from that record. Good day, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Let's put another shrimp on the barbie. Yeah, because a band really takes a turn when, uh, I remember, did you ever watch that thing called Talking Funny? 
Yes. And it's Jerry Seinfeld, Chris Rock, Lucy C.K., and Ricky Gervais. They're just talking about comedy. Yeah, it's awesome. They're talking about their different approaches. Now, Louis C.K. says that every year he throws his new hour away and starts over. And Seinfeld, who comes from kind of a different school, is like, I think that's crazy. I still have bits in my act from like my first few years of comedy. Mm-hmm. Because they're good. I kept it's like it's like Metallica playing in her sandman. Yeah, for sure. Comedians have versions of that. And Jerry Seinfeld's like, no one wants and this is before Prince passed away, R.I.P. Prince, the great Prince. And Jerry Seinfeld makes a good point. He says, No one wants to see Prince Prince play his new songs. And Chris Rock says there but there was a twenty year period when Prince was Prince, like post you know, he'd already had a lot of big hits. It's oh, like yeah. post Purple Rain. Even after that, like nine like eighty eight to like two thousand two. You still wanted to hear Prince's new shit. Yeah. And it's so true. Like, bands can be, like, almost, they can have so much great work, like a great body of work, but you still love their new albums. Radiohead's like that. Mm-hmm. And I think Metallica, if you if you think about a band that big on paper, you're like, yeah, by the time they're 40 years in, no one's going to care about their albums. They're going to care about their body of work. Right, yeah. So I think the significance of Hardwired is they're able to pull that off. Uh-huh. I mean, I wanted to see Now That We're Dead, minus the big drum, weird drum thing. Yeah, but yeah. I wanted to see Atlas. I wanted to see Moth. When they played Man and Kind in Paris, I was jealous. When you and I, which I, the longer this goes on, I'm more and more convinced what a treat we got to see. When we got to see Dream No More in Birmingham. Yeah. I got to see Spit Out the Bone. I don't remember where. They started doing Here Comes Revenge at the end. Mm-hmm. We got to see Halo on Fire. I know. It's just crazy. We, they, you know, they did Confusion at the SNM two gig, and I think the excitement is is ramping up like that for seventy two seasons as well. I mean, the first two songs I already love, and I can't wait to hear the rest of the record. And I'm looking forward to seeing those live too. I agree. Thank you for the thought provoking question, Colton. Very interesting. Joanna Grabrick writes in No Life Till M U Y P, which yeah, that's you know us. what that stands for. That's us. that's us. Yeah. Whoa. She says seriously though, since I started listening to the podcast about a year ago, I now can't imagine my life without Clinton, Ethan, and Paul. Friendly Banner, Church Giggles, Special Guests, Deep Cuts, Road Tales, Top Tens, Re-Revisited, Super Cool, Behind-the-Scenes Info that only the pro musicians, her words, can bring to the table. These two awesome mofos deliver my feel-good medicine every week without fail, showing love not only to Metallica, but just in general to great music. Lots of awesome stories embracing the listeners, fam, like no one else. All with the deepest love for Metallica. I challenge you all to listen to this podcast without immediately joining in conversation. Once you go M-U-Y-P, you never go back. Her words. I mean, hey, I'll take it. I'm just simply reading an email that someone sent to me. That's, That's right. all I'm doing. That's all it is. Now, do I love it? Yes. Do I agree with it? Yeah. But I did not write this. No, you didn't write that. This isn't this is an email, not an email from Clint Wells, unfortunately. No, and it is from my mom, though. <laughs> well, thank you, Miss Wells. <laughs> all right, our last email is from Caleb Gallo. Caleb says, hey, guys, I was wondering if you guys have ever heard the band Floater. I know Clint is a huge Tool fan, and these guys definitely have a Tool vibe about them. Their albums are definitely high concept and a great mix of heavy and delicate, a strange description I know. I urge you guys to listen to the songs Snowblind and Persecutor, as they are great introductions to what they have to offer. I know this wasn't a Tala talk, but I think you guys would like this band. Hope all is well and stays well. Caleb from New Jersey, Washington. Have you checked out this band, Clint? I checked it out this morning. I did. What do you think? that's a little note to all you guys up there. So occasionally I will listen to the music you recommend. Man, I really liked it. I put the first song on, Snowblind. Yeah. And I don't know anything about this band, right? And my first thoughts were like, yeah, this really does sound like Undertow era Tool. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of put, I was kind of like, ah, if I'm going to listen to a band that sounds like Tool, I'm just, daddy's going to go to the real thing. Of course. I'm going to go to the source. (laughs) Right. But as I listened to it, it kind of took on its own thing. It definitely sounds like Undertow era, era Tool. 
So then I listened to Snowblind or uh, Persecutor. Yeah. Because I was curious enough to listen to the second song. And I was kind of doing some camping packing and, and uh, getting ready for today. And uh, man, the second song kind of sounds like Stavesaker, which I, you know, I like that band a lot. Right. It definitely piqued my curiosity. I mean, awesome. it didn't blow my mind. I definitely added it. You know, like you can listen and then you can like hit the little plus sign and right. add them to your world. Totally. And I got a two and a half hour drive coming at me today. So well, hell let yeah. me check it out. Yeah, it's awesome. I got. I have yet to check it out, but I'm uh, I'm definitely intrigued for sure. But here's the interesting thing about liking bands. And I'm going to this might be a tangent city for a second. OK. Is um, it makes sense to say this band sounds like Tool. Clint likes Tool. Ergo, Clint will like this band. Right. Mm-hmm. But I almost have this thing where it's like the bands that I love I don't know. I'm, I've never really said this out loud, so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of how to land it. Okay. The bands I love, I don't know if it's because they have a certain sound. I mean, obviously, I respond to it the way it sounds. Otherwise, I'm never going to listen to it again. But it takes on, like, I'm closing my eyes trying to imagine what I'm, what I'm thinking. It's like, it takes on this other thing where it's it's the lyrics, it's the aesthetic, it's it's definitely the tunes. But I wouldn't, I don't even know if I'm a fan of music that sounds like Tool. Like, I'm not really looking for bands that sound like Tool. Tool just sort of happened to mm-hmm. me. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, Tool has their own thing too. So if if if, yeah. if someone sounds like Tool, it's like, well, Tool is so unique. You know, they're they're definitely they've created their own sound and aesthetic and everything. That, but I don't listen to other bands that sound like Metallica. Like I don't listen to Anthrax. I don't really listen to Slayer. Yeah. I, the only other band that I really really vibe with that's close is Pantera. Yeah. And I'm talking about Pantera, not Shamterra. Right, right. I went through a, a maiden thing where I feel like I did my time and like got the good education and the sauce from their records mm-hmm. and found my five to ten that I'll jam when I'm in that mood, when I need to scratch that itch. And then I definitely did a thing with Sabbath's first five records. Yeah. In general, not a metalhead. Yeah, same. So I don't know what that means. Like, And I'm not trying to be um, difficult. Like, I get it. How else is someone supposed to suggest music to me unless they... Hey, I hear you like Guster. Here's a here's a here's spoon or whatever. I don't listen to other bands that sound like Tool. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I almost would even put Metallica in the category of of just kind of sounding like them them, and nobody else really sounds like them. Of course, you've got the thrash bands that are in that genre, but they just have such a unique sound to them, like Tool does. That um, now, if someone would email me and say, "Hey, this band kind of sounds like Metallica," like, yeah, I'm going to check it out. But people say Avenged Sevenfold sounds like Metallica, and I don't really care for that band. Same, um, same, dude. Speak, speaking of Anthrax, yesterday I, when I was I was prepping a bunch of drum shit for tour, uh, a record I hadn't dipped into in the John Bush era was Stomp Four Four Two, the one after Sound of White Noise. Uh-huh. Really fucking good. Cool. I had never really like dove deep on it, and I just listened to the entire thing while I was working on stuff, and I was like, wow. I love to hear it. I mean, I love you know this because you live with me, and I can be kind of grumpy. I I think you would agree that I'm at my happiest when we're listening to music. Mm-hmm. When we're just not working and there's no pressure to like land a work plane, yeah, and we're just having a beer and listening to our favorite songs, and maybe maybe you're playing some of your favorite music and trying to turn us on, or we all settled on an STP record, or that night we listened to Appetite, yeah, or you know that day that we all just were listening to U two, which was like heaven on earth for me, yeah. That's my happiest time, unless I'm with my family. You of course, know? of course. And so I love to hear it. It's just interesting how every time we sit down to sort of deliberately listen to Anthrax for the podcast, I have a great time. I mean, I, I, I think about Cry for the Indians all the time. <laughs> yeah. I had a great time listening to um, the two Megadeth records. Um, oh, cryptic, uh, cryptic Writings? Yes, Cryptic Writings and even Risk, Risk to yeah. a degree. Because I see Kronos, the Kronos stuff. There's, there's, it can either happen to you. I, I think three things can happen. Number one, you hear it and you're like, I don't like this. 
Not for me. Yeah. Not my cup of tea. Right. Number two, you hear it and you're like, yeah, I kind of like it. I kind of get it. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't it doesn't get inside. Yeah. And then the third thing that happens is something in your soul or your mind, which once again, your soul's in your body, your mind's in your brain. Something responds to it in a way where you go, what it like when I heard low, something happened in me. And I try not to think too much about what sort of metaphysical mechanism is occurring, but something in me lurches into life and goes, I've got to get my hands on everything this band ever did. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I don't know why that happens for some bands because it just seems like on paper, Anthrax should do that for me. Yeah. Or or even Megadeth should, or, or any of those bands. Sure. Any band that sounds kind of like Metallica. Yeah. But I can't control it. You yeah, know? but there, yeah, there is something, like you said, with Low, uh, with that comparison, that I, I felt that way the first time that Joe Hottinger played me All Them Witches, and I was like, like two songs in, I, I, I like interrupted the conversation. I was like, I'm, I'm really sorry. What is this? Yeah. Even in the background, I was like, I'm connecting with something here. I felt that with the Anthrax record yesterday because I was busy doing something else. And every once in a while, I would like literally turn my head physically over my shoulder and look back at my computer and go, holy shit, I really haven't spent some time with this record. And this is good. So there's just those connections that happen when you listen to music. And But yeah, when you talk about us doing stuff with the podcast, when it's kind of forced, you can't really, I don't know, get yourself prepare yourself to be in that zone to maybe be surprised by something um no that's true and i like how that naturally happens like it did yesterday with me with that anthrax record or maybe when you heard low and something clicked you're like damn i gotta listen to more of this i used to do a thing on van tours i don't know if we were friends at the time but i think when when i was turning sean mcconnell but i would ask all my instagram followers to tell me their favorite song like what's your favorite song right now and look no bullshit don't try to be cool don't Mm -hmm. try to be cute like What's the song that's fucking charging you up right now? Yeah. Because at any given time, I've got one of those songs. Sure. You know what I mean? What I would do, I would do it maybe every six months, and I would get maybe 150 replies. And I would put all those into a Spotify list, or like, this was pre-Apple Music, and I would burn them down. Yeah. And, you know, inevitably, I mean, kind of a small percentage, but five to ten of those songs would become some of my favorite songs, turn me on to some bands that I'd never heard of. Mm Mm-hmm. Because I just had all that time in, on the road where I was just so tired of listening to like my same yeah. go-tos. I need to maybe crank that up again. Yeah, that'd be a fun little social media experiment while, while on the road. Make some, I guess, a follower-curated playlist or something. But I have to really be in the mood for it. Yeah. Because people throw shit at us all the time. Right. I've got people up my ass in my DMs. At, literally, I don't know what yours are like, but every day. of Mostly nice stuff. Mostly people sending me basketball stuff or whatever. Yeah. I don't know if you saw this, but Kyrie Irving signed to the Mavericks. Saw that. Pretty big deal. And Kevin Durant just got traded to the Suns. Crazy. (laughs) Who I hate. So this is going to be interesting. But anyway, people, it's nice. People will send me stuff. Um, But I get a lot of recommendations for like movies and TV shows and books and, and, and music. Cause I often talk about that's the kind of stuff that puts the sauce in my life. Yeah, for sure. But you gotta, I gotta be in the mood because I don't know what you're like, but I've, I've got a long list of shit that I'm still waiting to get around to yeah i guess it just depends on the 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 headspace you're in in that moment if you get a dm from somebody it's like hey i, I know you like whatever you know rocket from the crypt you might like this band you know if, now if i'm already not in the mood to listen to rocket from the crypt i'm probably not going to check it out i know right but if i'm if i'm kind of feeling that way or you know talking about working on drum shit or i'm like cleaning the house something you're doing physically and listening to music in the background that's a good time for me to check out something new because i'm already kind of keeping myself busy i'm not sitting myself down at my at my computer desk going, okay, I have to focus on this record or whatever. Because you know, sometimes the vibe of it just in the room, you're like, wow, this is really rad. I need to dip into it more. So that's kind of where I'm at with that stuff. 
Yeah, and you don't listen to podcasts, so that's not a, not a ton, not a ton. I just feel like I asked you recently what podcast you listened to, and you didn't have any at the time. No, at the time I wasn't listening to much. I mean, I, I've done everything from like you know the Nerdist podcast years ago to the Conan O'Brien's podcast to Dak Shepard's podcast, things like that. But I haven't been like actively listening. You know, I'm kind of I want to save it honestly for the road since we're gonna be gone so long. I want to dip into some some new stuff I haven't listened to in the podcast world. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm like the opposite. I listen to music way more on the road. Yeah. But my my like doing the dishes or doing shit around the house is always podcast time. Okay, yeah. See, it's always it's always put a record on the turntable and then start cleaning the house. Yeah, that's tough too because if someone's recommending something, I'm like, I feel like I kind of have to pay attention to it so I can absorb it, mm-hmm. you know? At least for me, doing, listening to something new while I'm already occupied doing something is really helpful. Or if I'm driving, you know, if I got a long drive ahead of me, it's like, oh, I'll throw this record on so-and-so recommended because, you know, I'm... I, I can focus on it, but I'm also focused on driving and, and getting to my destination. And, and sometimes that'll help me kind of absorb something a little better, I think. Well, let's focus on burning down this fourth night of the 30th anniversary shows. I'm excited. Pretty fun set list. And uh, we're going to do it the way we've always done it. I'm going to take you up the first side of the mountain. Ethan's going to bring you down safely the next side. Check out the Patreon commercial if you're willing and able. It's five bucks a month. Basically, you can give more or less. But it's a way for you to support the show. It makes things like giveaways possible. And we try to do all sorts of nice things over there. And really, at the end of the day, you're just kicking a few bucks to a podcast that brings you a lot of joy. So that's right. check out the commercial. We'll see you on the other side of it. And uh, we'll burn it down. Let's do it. Hey, everyone. Clinton Ethan here. And we want to tell you about a little thing called Patreon. Patreon is an easy and interactive way to support the people who make the things that you love. For as little as five bucks a month, you can ensure that Metal Up Your Podcast can continue to grow in quality and content. That's equivalent to a cup of coffee or a beer once a month. Not only is it easy and affordable, but we've made it a priority since day one to give back to our Patreon community. We've given away deluxe box sets, rare vinyl, black and whiskey, concert tickets to SNM2 and Slane Castle, all four of our Cover Our World Black and EPs, 26 quarantine covers, and Lunar Satan demos, invitations to exclusive Zoom happy hours, the ability to ask our guests like Jay Weinberg of Slipknot, Lizzie Hale, and members of the Metallica crew your very own questions, and eligibility for our Metal Tales series where you can be a guest on Metal Up Your Podcast and tell us all about a notable Metallica show you've been to. Subscribe to Patreon today and immediately get access to years' worth of bonus content. Thank you for supporting the people who make the things that you love. Peace. Adios. I can't talk about it anymore. It's giving me a headache. Here, take two of these. Ah, Newprint. Little. Yellow. Different. Brought to you by Newprint once again. Listen, the one only sponsor besides Tone Tubby Speakers for a short time is Newprint. They don't know it. I don't even know if they're a company anymore. Probably not. But if Newprint, if you're out there, hooks them. We get headaches from time to time. We could use some Newprint. Was Newprint real? Was that a real company? Yeah, that was. It was like Advil. Yeah, they was. They're an actual company. Like a like Tylenol or whatever. Unbelievable. All right. Well, look, the fourth anniversary shows. They burnt down the fourth anniversary. The fourth night of the 30th anniversary. Sorry. It's like saying fifth, third bank. Fifth, third bank. My wife had a work function at Bridgestone Arena last night for the Preds, which was kind of fun. Um, but she works for a, one of her clients. This is a company called Delta Dental. And they're always doing shit with the Preds. Yeah. And we were next to the fifth, third bank table. And I wanted to just say to all those people, the title of y'all's business is insane. It is insane. My wife used to work in that building downtown, the fifth, third bank. I mean, how do you even land on that? Like Ruth's 
Chris Steakhouse. Yeah. Another one that's ever since I've lived here has always bummed, not bummed me out, but just kind of baffled me is Murfreesboro. Murfreesboro. I always thought it was Murfreesboro. Yeah, and that's pretty much what everyone says. Yeah, Murfreesboro, but Murfreesboro. How about Illinois? Come on, feel the Illinois. Yeah, with an S. Illinois. <laughs> Let's just make the S silent. There's so many dumb things in the English language. Oh my gosh, there really is. But the thing about naming things, I'm like, there's no, I mean, Ruth's Chris Steakhouse is a big steakhouse. Yeah. And I'm like, how many people did that have to get through where everyone's like, yeah, good idea. Yep, good idea. Yeah, yep, that's, co-sign that's, on that, signing off on that. Yep. It's like, no one said, hey, it's kind of hard to say. Yeah. Uh, let's make it easy to say. It'll be fun. It's right down the street from the Fifth Third Bank. Like, call it Ruth's. Yeah, Ruth's or Steakhouse. Ruth, Ruth's Steakhouse. Yeah. Fifth Third Bank. Or Peter Chris Steakhouse. I'm not eating any of Peter Chris's steak, I'll tell you that. <laughs> That dumbass. <laughs> All right. Well, so this is how this burnt down. The same deal. The Soul Rebels brass band came out. And online, you can find, I thought that was pretty interesting. You found a pretty good clip of them doing Sabbath True. And it's obviously with a bunch of horns. And then, like, a dude kind of raps it, kind of the way Snoop Dogg did on the Icons right. gig. Remember that? Yeah, yeah. Which, by the way, Snoop Dogg was at uh, LeBron Broke Kareem's record the other night. He did. I don't know if you saw that. It was I, a huge night. I did. I watched it, yeah. And, uh, of course, Snoop's there. And I'm like, man, this motherfucker has been on TV my whole life, and I'm almost 40. Yeah. And I did tell my wife, I was like, he's finally kind of starting to look old. Snoop, yeah, f- which is saying a lot. No, he's looked the same for, like, since, like, two years ago. Exactly. It's like those Corona commercials <laughs> is when he started to look old. Exactly. Which I love those Corona commercials. Oh, yeah, for sure. Anyway, shout out to your boy LeBron for breaking Kareem's record. I know. It was pretty exciting. It was just cool to see Kareem there, like, you know, showing respect, came out there. They, had the, they did, like, the 10-minute break or whatever in the middle of the game. Oh, yeah. They they shut that shit down. Oh, yeah, for sure. It was just really cool to see Kareem come out there. Obviously, Magic's going to be there. I don't think Kareem likes LeBron. He seemed... It was like passing the torch. He didn't seem that stoked. He, he didn't. You know, granted, he is old, so maybe he's just kind of grumpy. I don't know. I don't know him personally, so... Well, no, no. I mean, I obviously don't know him personally either, but there's a, there's a lot of chatter in the NBA world about how he feels about LeBron. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not I'm not cl- I'm not claiming to know him personally. Right. Yeah, I mean there's he's kind of said and done some weird shit. Yeah. Well, either way, it was cool to set, you know, it, it's a someone who watched the Lakers as a kid just like seeing those OG 80s guys in there. It was just Oh, oh yeah. Always gets me excited. Yeah, I mean Magic was fucking jumping up and down like a little kid. Oh yeah. It was amazing. It was, it was amazing it was to see. And it was a, it was such a great shot that fadeaway that he took. It was to, a great shot. To bake to break the record. Well, I don't know if you know this, but he, that entire week he was working with his trainer on on Skyhooks. Oh, hell yeah. Because he was going to try to break the record with a skyhook, which is Kareem's signature shot. Kareem would have loved that. <laughs> I don't know, man. Kareem's such an I'm, interesting I mean, cat. facetiously. <laughs> he is weird. I mean, I, I, I've never, you know, done any deep diving on him personally, you know. Uh, oh, really? Not really, uh, no. I mean, wow. it's just, you know, I've heard, I've heard tales here and there that he's, he's a, kind of a grumpy guy. But I don't know. It's one of those things where I'm like, eh, I'd like to remember the Kareem that I love. It's kind of like Roger Waters now. It's like, he's insane, but I'd like to remember the, you know, 70s shit. <laughs> well, he was insane then too. Yeah. He was just such an exciting player back then too, man. It's just like that. No one had a sky hook like that. No, dude. He's one of the, I, I mean, I think he's number two. He's number two in my book. Yeah. He's the second greatest basketball player of all time. Yeah. And wild that in the top five now scorers of all time are, are three Lakers. Oh yeah. So cool. Well, I mean, Malone technically played for the Lakers at one point, but who, Moses? Carl who, Malone. Who, 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 is Carl up there? Carl's up there, yeah. I think he's number four. Kobe's five now, I think. Okay. Yeah, pretty wild. Carl Malone. All right, interesting. The mailman. 
Um, okay, so they do Sabbath True, kind of like uh, the way Snoop did it. And it's interesting, the band Minus Lars come out after the Soul Brass Band. And James actually says that Sabbath True, their version is his favorite of their iterations of Metallica songs. That's cool. Kirk says his favorite is Bells. And interesting, Rob's, Rob says his favorite is Dyer's Eve, even though he says he hasn't heard it. <laughs> What? I guess he's just titillated by it being on on a, a set list, maybe, or on yeah. one of their albums. <laughs> James James does a Papa Hat joke where he thanks the Soul Rebels brass band for making Metallica sound so horny. <laughs> that is a Papa Hat joke. <laughs> and he does say that they've saved the best for last for night four. So uh, you can feel it in the air. It feels kind of exciting. He also talks about, uh, he says that the crowd looks as tired as he is. Yeah. Which, which I got to imagine that the end of this third is fucking wiped. Yeah. Still no Lars on stage at this point, by the way. So putting his shoes on. Uh, and James talks about how his throat was giving him some trouble that morning, but he feels pretty good. Which, you know, I appreciate he's being honest. They talk a little bit about what the shows have been like. Rob says that it's been like cramming for exams. <laughs> Rob says that suicide was rough the night before we talked about it. Or the, the show before. It was two right, nights before. Two false starts. And he says that the band was pissed that they didn't land it. Yeah, I'm sure. I would be. And I just really don't think James likes that shit. No, not at all. I don't think James likes them. It's almost like they're kind of telling tales like out of school a little bit. Yeah. It's like, hey, man, why don't you keep that to yourself? I, it, it fascinates me. I mean, James is fascinating to me. And I'm telling you, like, doing a deeper dive into these four shows has just opened up this can of worms with me. It's like, he's really protective of, and I'm like, why is he getting mad that Rob's being honest about them being upset? Mm -hmm. Is it because he's embarrassed? I don't know if that's it. I don't think he's embarrassed. I really think he looks at Metallica fans as a family and kind of like his kids. Right. And there are some times where, I do it. I do a version of it with Nova, and my wife does too. Where she, Isabel, might say something about it's hard to even give an example. That's something that might be true, but not something Nova necessarily needs to hear. Yeah, and I'll be like, "Hey, don't, don't say that." Yeah, yeah. Let's not say that in front of the kid. You know what I mean? Like, I just feel like there's some of that energy with James. All right. Yeah. Anyway, Lars shows up at the end. Kirk introduces Death Angel, which is a kind of a thrash band from that from their time early mm -hmm. 80s yeah, yeah and they play a set <clears throat> i watch one of their songs called kill as one kill as one pretty good i mean pretty good for what it is i'm i'm in no danger of becoming a death angel fan right but apparently kirk produced this album and uh it's just funny the lead singer gives like kind of a little speech before about how you know we're a band from the bay area we're really into the bay area thrash scene we're gonna play this next song and it's all about unity it's all about the unity of the scene and it's called kill as one <laughs> We're going to unite to kill everybody. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, at least when we kill, we kill as one. We're united in our killing. Uh, the lead singer wearing a jump in the fire, like demon, orange demon shirt. Yeah. Nice little homage to the era. Totally. So then they do an interesting thing where they bring up superfan Ron, who I don't know. I'm sure someone can write in and let us know. Because this, you know, this is 11, 12 years ago. Yeah. So I don't know. The Metallica sort of community may have changed and moved on a little bit, but... Superfan Ron, they bring him actually up on stage. This is guys, I think this is like his 190th show. Wild. Which someone needs to check with our friend Aaron Ginther because I think Aaron Ginther's past 100 somewhere. And I know Sarah and Pete are up near the hundreds also. Yeah, we, we might need to have a show off. They give him an award. They bring him on stage. He comes up, he hugs the band. And it's interesting. They're like, we've tried to give him a job. We've tried to give him like to honor him as like a guy that comes to so many shows. They've tried to like do special stuff for him. And he's told them all I want is just front. I just want rail access. Yeah. Like he he declined other stuff. They're just talking about how kind of selfless he is. Yeah. He tells a couple of kind of heartwarming stories about the band. He tells a story about Lars, I guess, during the Australian leg of the world uh, magnetic tour. 
there was a group of people like Ron who all traveled to all of those shows. It would have been the shows you saw, actually. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But apparently there's a big group of people from the States who came to all of them. And I guess Ron, superfan Ron, is tied enough with the band where he's kind of hanging with the band. They've sussed out that he's, I mean, he's obviously insane because he's been to that many shows. And <laughs> right, right. He knows what he does for money or work. But he's proved to that point, and you and I know what this is like as performers, he's kind of proved that he's cool. Yeah, he's safe. He's not going to be like, remember, remember Master of Puppets? Yeah. Right, exactly. He's safe. <laughs> Ron tells a story about how Lars went to Ron and said, hey, would you gather all of the people that traveled for all of these shows? I want to personally come out and thank them, which he did. That's awesome. And then he tells a story about James one night after a show. It's 3 a.m. Everyone's tired. James is walking out to like his personal car and that he said there was a big fence. You couldn't see through it, but people were like putting their hands up under the fence, like to just try to say hi or deliver a note or whatever. Mm -hmm. And James went over at 3 a.m. and like kind of through this fence, sort of signed autographs and made an experience for those fans, which I thought was pretty cool. That's really cool and kind of a rarity for him. Another thing they do is they they bring out a lot of people on stage and they they kind of thank the crew. They thank their employees. And there's partic particularly a seamstress that they single out who, like, does all their clothing and shit. Mm -hmm. Seamstress for the band. Yes. And they, like, give her a hug, and she's, like, 20 years in. M James hugs Big Mick. I mean, they, they really take a moment to showcase and say thank you to all the people that help that shit work, you know? You know, they've done that a lot at live shows. It's like they're definitely a band that doesn't let that go unnoticed. Yeah. And that's why they've had the crew they have for so long. I mean, Zach is up there. Yeah. And I think Zach is like the OG. I think he was Cliff's tech. Yeah, yeah. And now he texts for Rob. And I think he's kind of the, obvious told me that Zach is kind of like the HQ gear guy. I'm sure, yeah. He's got to be like the head honcho when it comes to that. Like just, yeah. even if it's not official, you know. I think he like runs HQ in terms of the, not the outboard gear. That's probably Greg, but like mm -hmm. their guitars, their inventory their and shit. Um, then they do the remembering Cliff story. Rob tells a, a story about Cliff and he, we've heard this story before, but he talks about how he was at Mike Borden's house. One of his best friends is Mike Borden. Mike Borden's best friends with Cliff. And he was staying with Mike Borden when he was auditioning for the band. And he talks about looking mm -hmm. up and there was this big poster of Cliff and he sort of said to the poster, I won't let you down. It, you know, if I get this gig, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to do yeah. a good job. You know, he talks about that being an important sort of spiritual moment for the gig. All that's really nice, right? Sets up the whole show. Very nice. They come out to do Orion. They make, surprisingly, a Larry Mullen Jr. joke. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Lars makes a joke about Larry Mullen, and James says, who's that? James, like, pretends not to know who it is, which is interesting. Lars asks if James wants to play drums again. Kirk asks how Orion starts. Lars, I'm telling you, this, this Suicide and Redemption performance not going well the two shows before, or the one show before. It really stuck with the band. Lars knocks the performance. James says it wasn't that bad. And they play the intro to Suicide and Redemption again. <laughs> Just to like, look, we'll, we'll show you. We can still do it. Yeah. like, And James looks really annoyed. It reminds me of, um, did you ever listen to that Pearl Jam album, Bonnaroyal Hall? I don't know how to say it. It's that. Oh, uh, Benaroya Hall. Benaroya Hall. Have you ever listened to this, what I'm talking about? I haven't listened to one, no. Sort of shocking to learn that you're actually not as big a Pearl Jam fan as I thought you were. I learned that recently. They didn't even make your top ten. I know. I mean, yeah, I'm shocked, and I, and I love them. I just, I don't, I, I don't dip into a ton of live stuff. Do you even with, know the song "Thin Air"? Thin Air. If I say "Thin Air," do you know what that is? You don't, do you? It's probably not on one of the records that I'm mostly devoted to. It's on binaural. I mean, dude, you got to listen to binaural. binaural right. You got to listen to binaural, dude. Yeah, I have. Li I've listened to every Pearl Jam record. There, um, that's lately been one of the things I want to dip into more is like records by bands that I absolutely love that 
certain records that I've I've kind of ignored over the what years. What are the records of theirs that you don't know? The, um, a lot of it is like uh, basically in between Yield and Lightning Bolt. Okay, so that would be Binaural, Riot Act, and Self Titled. Right. Damn, dude. I know there's a lot of good shit, and and I've, again, I've heard them. I just don't know them. And Backspacer, you don't near, know Backspacer? I just don't know them nearly as deep as I do. Like, you well, know, look, it's not a test. You're failing. I'm just, I'm just surprised, and I'm just oh, trying yeah, to get no. my bearings. Uh, it's okay, you don't know them. I'm just surprised. Well, anyway, I digress. Um, there's a song called Thin Air. It's yeah. a great song. You're just gonna have to check it out. <laughs> but there's a breakdown after the first chorus that's like. It's an acoustic guitar that goes da 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 ding da doom ba da dee doo 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 boo da dee doom ding ding. And on this Benaroya Hall gig where they put out the official thing, and Pearl Jam's whole deal is like they, they never fix anything. Like yeah. what what happens is what happened. They have a very like punk rock aesthetic, right? And man, Stone fucks this part up <laughs> bad. Yeah. And it's just on there. It's a total train wreck and <laughs> you can just hear the cr- like everyone's just kind of stunned at how sh- much he whiffs this part yeah and it's and it's tough too because the whole band comes out and it's just stone yeah and he just bo- he just boggles it dude and then when as soon as the song ends he plays it right you know and the crowd laughs, <laughs> he's just like he's like i knew i knew it i just kind of fucked it up when it mattered most you know it's like when it's like that one uh not too long ago last last summer or whatever when kirk just really badly oh, chunks yeah. nothing else matters and where he just falls on the ground because it's so ridiculous he did the only thing you can do just make it big like yeah, make it like, big become charlie chaplin you know be be a clown yeah exactly because what else can you do because that was bad yeah exactly yeah you, there's nothing else you can do you could you could yeah, do it, hit it, fall down on the ground. You could pretend to take your guitar off and throw it in the crowd on, you know, but not actually throw it or whatever. Something to make light of the situation. And that's true too, because poor Kirky Pooh, he was in a stadium. He, yeah, so, yeah, so that's like modern times. He's in a stadium. There are a million cell phones. Mm-hmm. So he's just fucked. This <laughs> yeah. Pearl Jam thing, they're kind of, you know, Ben Royal Hall is a small club for them. But it, I think it's a big room, right? It's a theater. Yeah, I, I've been in that room before with, when I was worked for Brandy. It's, it's a couple a big, thousand. It, it's a big like orchestra hall kind of okay. thing. It's, I think three thousand, let's say. And to Pearl Jam, that's a pretty quaint little, cute little performance. Absolutely. And it was cool. It was like they do a bunch of um, they do a bunch of their kind of slower songs. It, it's a really great show. But unfortunately for Pearl Jam, they like officially released it at a time where people bought CDs. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's just forever <laughs> there. <laughs> yeah. And actually, speaking of that, just getting into Orion, I have a few facts about this. It's only the third time it's been performed in the States. I have notes that the bass sounds great, the guitar harmony sound good. But James gets pretty lost in the in Kirk's solo, where, you know, they have him cranked pretty loud. He's like the primary guitar player in the band. Yeah. And during Kirk's solo, you just hear him kind of going into something and hitting a clam, and then he stops, and then he, he, he thinks he knows where he is, and then he goes and it clams again. It's like, yeah. oh, man. Oh geez! And sometimes when when you do that early in a show, it can really fuck with your mind for the rest oh, of the show. Oh, for sure it can. Yeah. Then they go into through the never. This is only the second time it's been played since 1993, which seems crazy to that me. Does seem insane because the song is so good. It's only been played 244, 45 times total, like up to now. Wow. Even Damn. in the Black Album, the you know the never-ending Black Album touring, right? The nowhere left to roam shit. I guess. I mean, that Black Album. I mean, there was so many big fucking songs on that record that's like. If on if on on average they're going to play five to six songs from the the current record they're touring on, well, the Black Album you had five or six songs that were massive. Well, by '91 they already had so many. They already had a set, a classic set list. Yeah, think about it. You know, 
Fade to Black, Creeping Death, Battery, Master of Puppets, mm-hmm. Hit the Lights, Kill Them All, or uh, Seek, Seek and Destroy, and destroy. Yeah. Four Horsemen. You know, I'm even leaving some out. One, Blackened. Yeah, exactly. The Harvester yeah. of Sorrow. And then you have, on top of that, all the hits from the Black Album. And then you have all the hits from the Black Album, and you have the kind of covers that I do. You have Last Caress, you know? You got mm-hmm. Whiplash. So what? All that stuff. So that, that makes sense. You're holier than thou's. You're through the nevers. They're not going to cut it, which yeah. is crazy. But that's how good the Black Album is. The mm-hmm. Black Album is so good that any other band through the never would be their big song. Yeah, for Think sure. Think about that. I know. It's insane. It's, a, it's such a great song. This is a little um, tangent, a little bit, but I did like my top songs of the 90s on Instagram the other day. And one of my top songs was 1979 by The Smashing Pumpkins. And I was texting Paul about it because there's like a drum loop at the top. I was like listening in cans. And then when it ends, you hear that drum loop again. And I was like, dude, is that drum loop in the song the whole time? He was like, yeah, this whole thing's in there. And he was like, dude, that song is like the mix of that song is just pop perfection. Mm-hmm. And I was like, dude, can you imagine just having one song that good? I know. And the Smashing Pumpkins have at least 20. I mean, ju- yeah, just one song that good would just be like, holy shit. You Could know, you imagine like- having one song as good as like wherever I may roam? I know. Let alone, like, you just, you're just in the business of just banging five of those out minimum per record. Yeah, for sure. It's insane. Everyone's like, oh, load is, load sucks. I'm like, okay, Outlaw Torn, Bleeding Me, Until It Sleeps, King Nothing. I know. Do any of, yeah, do you have a, do you have one song that good? You have one song as good as King Nothing? Yeah. Or Until It Sleeps. I mean, it's, (laughs) it's, I don't. I'm chasing it still. Yeah. Um, the Through the Never performance is really good. Kirk Rip, that's one of my favorite Black Album solos. And he rips it. You did a deep dive on that one, right? Uh, I believe so, yeah. I think you did that, God That Failed and Holier Than Thou, when we were going through Black Album stuff. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. All right, then they play Lightning. Lightning is a huge treat for me. Like, if, if I'm going to pick any of the self-titled songs to see, I'm going to choose Lightning every time. Yeah. Uh, James says, this is the kind of special stuff you guys get to see, whether you like it or not, because him and Kirk are kind of working out that harmony at the top before they start the song. Yeah. Bit of a candid moment. This was the first time, or Lightning wasn't performed for 16 years. It was brought back in 2003. I looked up, I looked that up. I was like, why did they bring that back in 2003? Because it was also at the Fillmore. So in 2003, they did four shows. They did four Fillmore club shows. Mm. And I was like, why did they do this? It's not in the notes, but it's the first four shows they did after MTV Icon. Oh, and okay. I think they were basically warm-up shows for Rob. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's awesome. Because then they would go on the stadium. You know, the same anger, uh, Madly and Anger with the World Tour was a stadium tour. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Huge. So they they threw his ass in the fire. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. We're, you're about to play stadiums. We're gonna go warm up in some clubs first, though. Right. That, Which is what they did with Jason. But that had been fun for them, though. I think they did two club dates with Jason, and then he talks about the the third show he did was Budokan in Japan. Yeah, gosh. My notes for Lightning is the crowd seems stoked. They're singing the chorus super loud. This is just a fucking great... I wrote... This song is awesome. Yeah. Uh, This song's only been played 388 times, but I guess that makes a little more sense. Kirk rips a solo. It's great. Next, they do The God That Failed, which so far for me, Orion Through the Never, Lightning, God That Failed. This is like a great run Mm -hmm. of songs. Absolutely. They last played God That Failed in 2004. James is playing The Black Truckster, probably my least favorite of his guitars, but it's fine. It seems kind of fast, which I think you hone in on that a little more than me as a drummer. Mm-hmm, they're playing yeah. a little and some of these songs we'll get to this with king nothing too some of these songs that are like groove where the heart and soul of the song is a groove when they speed them up it just loses something like they're faster i guess they're yeah it loses it loses the feel it absolutely does i mean you can find footage of them playing sabbath true like in the mid to late two you know aughts where it's like way too fast and that that dun, 
come, come. It, just, it loses it. It's gone. You know, there's no, the feel is all gone. A band that, it, it, that if you watch them play live, they play their songs slower live and they're more powerful live is Stone Temple Pilots. Mm, oh, yeah. I don't sure. know how they do it, but they play their songs slower and it's crazy. I don't know if it has a lot to do with Eric. I mean, he kind of is a, it's gotta dr- be Eric, like right? a draggy kind of drummer. He, he, plays, he plays behind the beat more than most drummers of the 90s, in my opinion. But they do that a lot live, even even on on Plush, you know. Come, oh, you know, yeah. When, when they come back into the main riff, it's like a bum, bum, bum. It's just like, it's like they're all just smoking weed the whole show or something. They just keep getting slower and slower. But the reason that I think it might actually be like a, a more democratic band thing is if you watch the performances of just Dean and Scott when they do Plush, mm-hmm. it's slow like that, too. Yeah. Like, it just makes me feel like they're, they it was like a part of the band's ethos. Yeah. They're like, look, we're going to we're going to lay back, you know, like I know Rob's like way in the bossa nova shit. And like maybe they just kind of come from that. Like we're going to just be real behind the beat. And mm-hmm. it just it, somehow it's more powerful for sure. God that failed fails this test. It sounds like they're kind of just wanting to get through it. I remember Paul saying that about Unforgiven when we saw Metallica together in Detroit. He was like, it sounds like Lars just wants to get the song over with. Yeah. W- and which may or may not be actually true, but that's what it kind of feels like. It just feels kind of rushed and. In that sense, you're like, well, why even play it then? If, yeah. If it's not going to be great, you know? Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you're going to speed up anything, just speed up the stuff that's already fast. Because then right. that doesn't really make, you know, if you want to play Seek and Destroy a little faster, no problem. There's a really bizarre era of Kiss called Animalize. They made an album called Animalize. I'm not sure if you're familiar with this. I know that I, I'm, I, is the cover has like the different animal patterns on it. Yeah. Like well, there's like yeah, a, le- shocker, leopard, right? a, a leopard one and then like a whatever, cheetah or something. Yeah. No, that's Love Gun, actually. Um, yeah, that's Animalize. <laughs> uh, they were pretty on the nose. But Very. for some reason, I think, you know, Kiss, uh, I could talk about this forever, but I think they were trying to compete with the master of puppets in the world. I think they were just, they were like, you know, they found themselves going from like 70s glam classic rock to, to looking around and everyone's playing speed metal. And I think they were like, how do we fit in? How do we mm-hmm. survive? Kiss are kind of survivors. Right. They're, they're real scrappy. And they never believed in their own songwriting enough, in my opinion. Like, I think they just should have kept doing their thing. But they tended to look around and adapt kind of the way Metallica did during St. Anger. And they have this, they put out a live DVD. I can't remember what it's called, but it's the Animalized Tour where they, the songs on Animalized sound like 80s metal. And they're not as good, but they took all their great songs and played them really fast. Oh, wow. Like they played Cold Gin like a metal song. They played Deuce fast. They played Detroit Rock City super fast. Wow. Because, they, because they, I think they thought, and this is just such a dumb idea, they thought, oh, if we just speed up our songs, it'll <laughs> we'll, sound like today's music. We'll fit right in. And it's like, dude, like I just wish I could have been like a mentor to them at that time where it's like, hey, guys, don't do that. That's A- one of the dumbest ideas in the world and B, your songs are good enough. Just play them the way they go. Yeah. I mean, ultimately do whatever you want because you're artists, but there's a difference. You know this dude, as an artist, you can make decisions that come from two places, right? Strength or weakness. Mm -hmm. So someone like Lou Reed's going to make a bunch of crazy decisions about his art, but I don't get the sense that he was worried about, Oh no, how do I fit in? His decisions came from strength. He yes, was artistically for sure. formidable and strong. He could see the goose in the ice. He knew how to chisel it out. And if people could follow him into that dark land, good. If not, fuck them. All right. Mm-hmm. Now that you, I respect that. Yeah, for sure. 
Or you're an artist who looks around and goes, oh no, oh no, I want to be relevant. I want to sound good. I, I want to sell records. I want to sell concert tickets. What's Bon Jovi doing? What's Metallica doing? Oh no, Slayer, that's scary. Let's make cold gin fast and just see if no one will notice. That's a decision. <laughs> that's an artistic decision born out of weakness and yeah, it yeah. fucking doesn't work. Right. Absolutely. It does not work. And it embarrasses me as a fan. And I wish I could have been around and have had the pedigree to be like, guys, just be yourself. Just don't man. do that. Well, the songs spoke for themselves. And also it's like, you don't have to adapt to like the glam rock thing that's going on or the speedmill thing that's going on because it's like your songs are your songs are good enough. It's still in the rock genre. I mean, fuck, look at ACDC. Like they they still sounded like ACDC through the eighties. It wasn't it wasn't like all of a sudden they put on makeup and started playing like Ibanez and Jackson no, guitars. Dude, all their all their decisions were made from power and strength. Yeah. And and the other thing too is like if you're gonna if you're gonna do that, it's like, oh my God, you're choosing like the most dated, like this music is going to sound so dated. Like It'd be like, honestly, they. I hate that I'm ripping on Kiss. I hate this has become a rip on Kiss segment, <laughs> but I got to tell it like it is, baby. They did it with grunge, too. They put out a record in 97 called Carnival of Souls, Ooh. and it's them trying to be fucking Pearl Jam. And it's like, first of all, guys, you're like five years too late already. Yeah. And B, you guys suck as a grunge band, man. You're Kiss. Yeah, you're Kiss. Now, there was a moment in 1979 when they were trying to try on disco, because I'm telling you, every step of the way, I could draw you a map. They they looked around and were like, oh no, we're scared, what do we do? But because they were young and on, on fire, they were able to churn out I Was Made For Loving You and Sure Know Something, and it was good. Great songs. Because they were just 26 and 27 and just almost at a peak of their powers. Yeah. So even, even those dumb decisions still came from power. But they're verging into their mid-30s, their early 40s. They're looking around. They're, they're, they're making decisions where they don't believe in themselves anymore. And it starts to get stinky. No one wants to hear mm -hmm. Kiss do Very Carnival stinky. of Souls. I'm going to have to listen to that record today. It's like, well, honestly, I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of cool. But it's, it doesn't work. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure it doesn't work. I've just never heard it before. So. Well, not a lot of people have. But yeah. it's like them on the cover wearing flannel. They, they look like disaffected. But I'm like, you guys are 45. <laughs> stop. You're stop it. Oh, man. You can't be mad Flannels. at the world when you're 45 and you're rich. Right. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, you've already made your fortune at this point. <laughs> All right. Next map, Metallica plays Sanitarium. What can I say? It's a version of Sanitarium. There's a Kirk Doodle before that actually kind of sounds, I'm not big on the doodles, but he kind of rips this doodle. It's pretty, pretty cool, actually. Anytime I hear Sanitarium, the thing that strikes me is just how beautiful that opening guitar part is. And I love James's clean tone. Yeah. Then they live debut Rebel of Babylon, which is a highlight of the show for me. Someone, this is an interesting moment in the show. Someone's apparently holding a sign that says play escape, but you can't see the sign, but you just see James go, you can put that sign down, buddy. It ain't oh, happening. Oh, man. And then the <laughs> band starts playing escape, and James uh, is just standing there. And it's pretty funny. The crowd sings the entire first verse. That's so wild. You, you know that at a certain point, James is up there going, man. This is just like everyone, I, he probably felt almost like not taken advantage of, but it's like we gave Lars a mic. He's getting the crowd going. They're, 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 they're looking at these shows as like these goofy things, and he's probably trying to be a little more serious about it, I guess. Well, and he also really hates that song. Well, he definitely hates that song. I'm telling you, yeah, he's, he's a grumpy daddy. Daddy's, daddy's on, you're on thin ice with daddy in these shows, period. Yeah, for sure. And I, I submit that it's simply because he was on some fucking whacked out diet. I do that too, man. When I get when I get into my health shit at home, and I'm kind of hangry all the time, mm -hmm. I'm I'm a little harder to be around. And that's yeah. just what it seems like to me. The dude is fucking thin as a rail in these shows. He really is. Yeah. And then someone at some point he's talking about his throat being like rough or whatever, and someone throws up like Ricola, like the throat mints or whatever. Yeah. 
And he's like, oh, sugar-free, thanks. You know, he, he's immediately looking at the fucking contents, which is what you do when you're in calorie deficit. Like, I'm For in a calorie sure. deficit right now, and everything I consume, I'm looking at the calories. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, you have to pay attention to all that shit. Oh, I was telling you, I went to that Preds thing last night for yeah. my wife's work, and a guy comes up to me, and he's like, hey, Clint, really good to see you again. I have no idea who this guy is. <laughs> and I said, hey, man, I don't know who you are, dude. He's like, oh, I'm I'm so and so. I tour managed uh, a Shaw McConnell tour in like 2014 or something. I was like, oh, right on, right on. Still can't remember him. <laughs> Sometimes you got to play along. Well, because you know how it is. I've, I've been through so many tour managers in my yeah, life. Totally, bro. He tour managed one three week run. My whole life is a series of three week runs. Yeah. Anyway, he's like, uh, he's like, well, I work for the Preds now. So if you and your family ever want to come to a game, just let me know. You're like, and now I definitely remember you. I was like, I won't my buddy, you. come over here. Dude, how long have you been? Get in here. You know what I remember most about that tour is how close we got. How we I were know, basically man. like brothers. It's a shame it's been almost 10 years since, you know. It's, <laughs> it's a shame it's been 10 years since we've spoken, and I still can't remember you. But I do remember how close we were on that tour. Yeah, by the way, that Preds game next week, uh, mind exactly. if I stop by? Well, here's the nice thing about not remembering him, too, is uh, and not remembering the relationship, is... Uh, he was like, well, any, he's like, seriously, anytime you guys want to go to a Preds game. And I said, dude, I seriously do want to go to many Preds games, and I will be texting you about that. Yeah. He was like, well, I mean it. Just do it. So. Hey, if he means it, he means it. And also. I can feel it. I can feel it. Not a lot of I can feel it's yet on this on this uh, episode. I'm sorry. What would you say? I can feel it. <laughs> I can feel it. So they play Rebel of Babylon. I like Rebel of Babylon. I, I was getting kind of bored today watching it. It's really got a lot going on. Yeah. I hate to sound like this guy, but I do kind of feel like if they'd maybe edited it a little more, it might be a more memorable song. Mm-hmm. But I really love the creepy intro. I love that it's about Lane Staley. It's sad, obviously. Yeah. He talks about taking the this spoon and digging your grave with like your heroin spoon. And, Ugh. You know, his voice sounds great in the courses. But then there's like all these like connecting. It's very death magnetic y in that like there's all these connecting sections that I think are kind of forgettable. Yeah. Yeah. Like a lot of the Beyond Magnetic stuff, you listen to it. And there's a few big hooks in each song, but I mostly can't remember how they go. Yeah, I feel like on those, if you really, if you went in and trimmed the fat a little bit, they, they would be way more memorable. Or maybe would have made the record. Who knows? Yeah, I agree. Uh, next up, we have Blackened. And now this is the Met Club portion where people from the Met Club come up. Now, this is pretty interesting. It's a husband and wife. Uh, it's uh, Dennis and Annette Diaz on guitar and drums. They're, I think they're in a tribute band called Trapped Under Ice. And they made this really cool video after their performance. And it's them and their little like baby. I'm talking maybe one or two years old who they named Lightning. Wow. After Ride the Lightning. And it's them thanking the band for letting them perform. And then it's their audition tape. So she's got the she's got the orange drum kit, like the Death Magnetic drum kit. He's playing a White Explorer. They do, they do Battery, Blackened, and Puppets. They also, I guess, anticipated that they would be called up to play because he's wearing like this thing around his neck that's like filming everything. Yeah. So they're at the gig in the crowd and Metallica puts on the big screen. I guess apparently this couple played Master of Puppets together at their wedding. Oh, okay. And okay. they included that in their audition tape. So the way it kind of reads when I'm watching this video is like they're in the crowd. All of a sudden, there's a video of them on the screen and they're like, they're kind of freaking out. Yeah. And Lars is saying, I think these people are actually in the crowd somewhere and they're going, oh my God, oh my God. And they get called up wow. to play. And it, I don't know if it's all for show, but it seems like they didn't know. Yeah. And it seems like they didn't know what song they were going to play. And they tell them blackened. It's interesting. This dude walks up to James and he's like, hey, are we doing the live version of blackened? And James <laughs> is like, yeah. And he's like, okay, so we're like cutting the solo in half. And James is like, yeah. 
Oh, and I'm wow. like, man, this dude knows his shit. Yeah, for sure. So then the 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 chick's getting situated with her drums, and then Rob comes over and checks in with them about the arrangement. He's like, hey guys, this is the you guys know the live version. They're like, yeah, yeah, we know it. They're just like, go for it. And he just starts it. It's kind of rough, but that's a hard fucking riff to play. Yeah, it totally is. Once the band comes in, it starts to feel okay. Mm-hmm. And I got to be honest, until the bridge, they seem a little overwhelmed because it's it's one thing to play these songs like in your studio or in your garage or, you know, yeah. sitting down at your desk or even like in a tribute band at the club or wherever they live. Mm-hmm. It's another thing when you're on stage with this source, the source of the material. Yes. Metallic James Hetfield standing right there and they're playing it and they're playing it fast. They're playing it kind of faster than it goes. Oh, it's already one of their fastest thrashiest songs right mm-hmm. yeah by the they start to settle in like she's yeah. she's doing the four on the floor kick and standing up and getting the crowd going that's cool and they're doing the last foundation whatever those lyrics are planet yeah. dies there but when they're doing the fast stuff it's kind of like they're just holding on for dear life which is appropriate <laughs> yeah i probably would be too it's a really really sweet moment that I really like. And the dude does the harmony solo with them, the first blackened solo. Yeah, that's awesome. James comes and rocks with the drummer chick. It's it's a really cool moment. That's so great. Probably my favorite of the four, like, Met Clubber guest stuff. All right, moving right along. Next up, another favorite moment of mine for, not because I love the songs that much, but Bobby Rock, the Papa Bear, James self-describes him as the fifth member of Metallica, mm-hmm. comes up to play bass on Dirty Window. I do kind of feel like, I do kind of feel like if I'm Bob, I'm going, you know, couldn't we have done something from Black Album? Yeah, I know, right? Like, I don't know if that feature, like, but who else are they going to bring up for that? Phil? Well, I mean, I guess because he played bass on the record, it's like, well, I know you're known for all of our, all these re- great records we made in the 90s, but we're going to bring you up for St. Anger. I know, I know. And James does talk about it. He, he calls, <laughs> he calls the film some kind of monster hideous and horrible, but absolutely true. He's playing that Grinch ESP, which is like a baritone that he can tune down. Mm-hmm. Kirk's go-to down-tune guitar for St. Ergo Materia is that double-necked uh, Les Paul that he also sometimes would play when they would do Seek and Destroy a whole step down. Yeah. But it's the, not double-necked, double-cutaway. Oh, double-cutaway? Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. not, not double-necked. Yeah. He's not doing Stairway to Heaven with... Uh... <laughs> so they... Here's... All right, we're going to camp out just for a second in Dirty Window Land, in St. Anger Land. And, and James says this. He says, St. Anger is one of the albums, either it's your favorite or you lost track of it, but it never goes away. You keep coming back to it and saying, damn, there's some good, good songs on here. All right. Here's my thing. I'm watching them play Through the Never. I'm watching them play Sanitarium. I'm watching them play Orion, Ride the Lightning, even kind of struggling through God that failed, right? When they start going down, 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 it's not stacking up, dude. Yeah, com- comparatively for sure. And, and you know, Dirty Windows, that and My World and Unnamed Feeling are my favorites. But And even when he starts singing it, or when he starts kind of rocking, like when the band comes in, down to down, down, down to down, down, down to down, down, down to down, down, down. It looks like they're wearing a costume. It it looks like they're trying on a costume that mm-hmm. doesn't fit. Yeah, I mean, the performance, I, that, obviously I've seen this one, and uh, I agree with you on that. Only one that I've seen, which isn't a ton, is the, from the 40th. It sounded fucking huge and amazing, but that's also like mixed, and you know, a lot of this is just fan cam stuff. But you're right, though. It doesn't compare to those songs. It's like... Yeah, you got to touch on that record because these are the anniversary shows, the 30th anniversary shows. They're out, they outweigh one outweighs the other. It, it sounds like a corn riff that a kid's playing in Guitar Center. It's tuned to drop D, and he's just going ding, down, ding, ding, down, ding, down, down, ding, ding, down, down, chat, 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 chat. 
Cha, 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 cha. You almost expect Jonathan Davis to be like, boom, ba, ba, ka, boom, boom, cha, cha. <laughs> so I'm not trying to rip on it necessarily, but it's just standing out to me. And it's like, there's just a lack of power in it. And I don't think there's a lot of conviction in their performance. But having said that, they burn it down. It's really nice to see Bob. I, I'm just a lifelong fan of Bob. Yeah. And uh, he's looking real good, you know, in 2011. He was, yeah, for sure. He's looking like a dad, you know, and he's coming out there playing bass. He's smiling. He's glad to be a part of it all. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And his his work with the band is legendary. I don't think St. Anger is his best moment with the band, but you know, it was, I get it. It was the moment where he was their bass player mm-hmm. and he's playing bass. Like, I get it. What else was he going to do? He's going to come out and play bass on Sabbatry. That doesn't make sense either. They're going to roll out a mixing console. He's just going to mix <laughs> this out of the stage. Some, dude. He's going to play a tambourine <laughs> and something. So, all right, that's fine. Rob's playing that killer clown bass, which I like. Yeah. This is the first time they played Dirty Window in seven years. Kirk added a solo. So this was when they were kind of adding solos to shit. All right. Then they play Frantic, and I kind of have the same, generally the same vibe. I will say the main riff sounds good with their, like, normal tone. Yeah. Not their corn tone or whatever. Mm-hmm. James still playing the Grinch. Kirk's still playing that cutaway, Les Paul. Kirky Monster on the You Live It or Lie It Echo part. It's Ooh. real loud in the PA. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool flanger on James's guitar for those pre-choruses, which they do on the record. He does a cool, like, you know, the Metallica, hey, hey, he does a cool thing in the bridge. He's just such a great front man. He absolutely is. And I guess all in all, I do got to say, it's nice to see them dust those songs off. Like, I'm I'm down. I, I would probably rather see it at this point than A Wherever I May Roam. I'd probably mm-hmm. rather see it at this point than A Whiplash. And even in the last couple of years when they've added it to the set list, when they started doing it over in Europe, and we were like, oh my God, there's a St. Anger yeah. slot. yeah. At a show like that, where you're getting two hours of Metallica, like just doing one of those tunes is a nice little, nice little treat. You know, whether it's Dirty Window or Frantic or Sand Anger or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I, it's interesting. Like, it's like, do you, man, do you play, do you have an obligation to play one of those songs to pay homage to that era? Like, it, can you completely overlook it? Which they've done. They've, they, the whole Worldwide tour, they didn't play any Sand Anger songs. Oh, yeah. But they don't play any songs from Load either. You know, they only play Fuel or Memory from yeah. Reload. And it's like, for me, being a Load and Reload guy, it's like, well, if you're going to do like kind of like a mercy slot, we're like, well, we have to acknowledge 2003. I'm like, man, there's a lot of good songs you guys don't play from Load and Reload that yeah. were hits. They don't yeah. play Until It Sleeps. They don't play King Nothing. They hardly ever play Bleeding Me, which I that know, wasn't crazy. a hit. But they don't play, they do, they never play Hero of the Day. Hero of the Day was a big hit song. It absolutely was. It's insane they don't play those songs. And it's insane they don't play Fuel and Memory in the same show, too. It's like they just pick one. They gave a lot of love during that era to Devil's Dance. Yeah, they never, they, you know, they're never going to play. Dude, they're never going to play Devil's Dance again. Ever. It's, it's weird to me that they don't have a slot in their set that is either going to be until it sleeps or memory remains because they're, they're kind of similar in tempo and stuff like that. Like, hmm. like, let's, you know, the, yeah. I think that would be a really cool slot. Or or I could see an alternating slot being till it sleeps or hero of the day. Yeah, that'd be rad. But my God, are they ever going to play hero of the day? They'll probably never play that song again. Dude. Yeah, I guess not. I and mean, then let alone all the untouched material like. You know, they've never played Better Than You. And that song won a fucking Grammy. They've never <laughs> played um, They've never played Attitude. They've never played, to my knowledge, like Prince Charming. They've yeah. never played Bad Seed. Like they so would do weird. like a Bad Seed jam on the Cunning Stunts tour. They've only played Fixer one time. They've only played Outlaw Torn 16 times. Yeah. They've, ne- they've never played, shit, I mean, what am I leaving up? They've never, they played two by four, maybe five to 10 times. Mm-hmm. Ain't My Bitch, they played a little bit during Cunning Stunts. I mean, I, I I really hope and cross my fingers that they throw in some random songs like that on this next tour because it's a, 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 a no repeat songs kind of weekend thing. Yeah, but they did that with the I festivals. I, I'm optimistic about it, but they also have done that kind of 
format of shows last year. Not not a shitload, but some. And they never pulled out anything absolutely crazy. I was encouraged to see when I was looking at Ride the Lightning that they played Ride the Lightning at every show in 2022. I thought mm-hmm. that was pretty cool. Hell yeah. So maybe that's kind of here to stay. I mean, I, I've never seen that live. I would yeah. love to see that song live. That'd be rad. Are you at a point now, do you do the thing where you sort of ch- chase songs? Like, I'm kind of at a point now, especially with this maybe being like one of the last big tours, where I think I would actually pay attention to like, what have I seen live? What have I not seen? And what's possible? Like, yeah. Like wanting to really check some songs off my list. I've, I've never really felt that way about them until this upcoming tour. I felt that way a little bit during the Hardwired tour because everybody was really hoping for Spit Out the Bone. Yeah. And, and I never got that one because when they debuted that, it was like it was like big Metallica news. And I never got it. So that's I when I first say started. It, man, but they, that might be done. That might be off the, off the list now. Yeah, it could be. It could be. That's okay, though. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I might sit down before the, this next tour happens and like go through. I mean, I've, it's not like I've seen... 85 shows i've only seen five so yeah. it won't be hard to narrow down what i've seen what i haven't seen i've only seen seven yeah and one of them james wasn't at yeah that's true well let's maybe maybe we can maybe we'll do a top 10 of songs we'd like to see do you think you'll ever get uh oh that'd be fun that's a fun episode idea yeah do you think uh do you think you'll ever get to see kid rock sing both american badass and sabbath true like i did i hope not god we were fucking <laughs> we were fucking wrecked over it man <laughs> yeah i'm sure Man, yeah, I, I think I'd be, I think I'd be all right with that one. I would love to see Orion live, but I don't know if that's ever going to happen. Huh, how do they do that? How would they pull that off? I mean, it makes sense. It makes sense for them to do an instrumental in the set to give James a vocal break. Like, I'd rather yeah. see them do that than like the Doodles they put together. Mm-hmm. Although I feel bad knocking the Doodles because the Doodles, it's real clear to me that Kirk and Rob are actually friends in real life. Yes, the other guys really could go either way for me. I really wouldn't be surprised either way. Yeah. And that's just what bands are like. That's not a knock on anybody. But Kirk and Rob, I think, are really close. And I know that those doodles were, it was a celebration of their friendship, their kind of deep love for music. Yeah. And them finding what, like, finding the vibe in each city and devoting the time to learning it, performing it for that city. It's just such a cool thing to do. It's a cool thing to do, I think, regardless if it's landed. Yeah. But I would love to see them do Orion. I mean, they did Anesthesia. Yeah, they did that a lot to, to pay tribute to Cliff. You know, I could see them maybe doing that again. Um, but yeah, Orion, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if they're going to do it. It'd be, it'd be rad. I mean, I would love, I would, that's one I've never seen, and they don't play a ton, so that would be an absolute treat to see that. Well, you know, we're, you know, we're at least 35% responsible for getting Fixer played. So I think maybe if we just start leaning in to the energy oh. of Orion, maybe we can get it going. Well, listen, I think, listen, Lars or Lars's assistant, throw that in, in your Danish friend's ear because we'd love to hear that live. It really does got to get to Lars, right? Yeah. I mean, if he's making the set list, then yes, please. He makes him, and I think James lets him have that power, but I think James also kind of has ultimate veto. He's got veto power for sure. And let's face it, no one cares what Kirk or Rob think about what songs they play. Right. <laughs> I know Rob is responsible for Spit Off the Bone getting the love it got. Yeah. Like, I think they, they, I think they listen, but, but could you imagine if Rob's like, Guys, I really don't want to play Orion, but if James and Lars do, they're like, hey, baby, we're playing Orion. It's happening. Yeah. (laughs) So you can not play it, but it's going to sound real weird without you. (laughs) Oh, no. They're telling him you're playing it, learn it, and play it good. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) All right. Well, do you want to carry us through the rest of the show? I watched it. I didn't take notes, but I did dip in. I'm, I'm, I'm versed in what happened. And I'm curious about your thoughts. Lead us through it. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff that happened in the second half of the show. Now, I, I think overall, I think this was probably the most exciting show of the four nights obviously we have a lot of great guests on the back half of this but yeah starting off 
uh, we had get Sabra Cadabra, and it was it was really fun because James James basically starts talking about Garage Inc. He's like he almost sounds disinterested at first. He's like, so uh, Garage Inc. And he's kind of like he's like I think we should touch on that or something like that. And so they go into Sabra Cadabra, and they bring out Geezer Butler from Black Sabbath, which is super exciting because he's so a cool fucking monster on the bass. And I thought it was really cool was a point where Rob walks up to the mic, which he doesn't do a ton. And he says, this is my hero, the Cliff Burton's hero, and Jason's hero right here in the flesh. Oh, man. You that know? is so cool. And watching watching Geezer play bass on this song. really the, What a great player, right? Great player. And, and really, yeah. even, the, you know, the, he's up there for three songs. Watching his right hand on the strings, I'm like, dude, that looks like Cliff. Yeah. He has that vibe where he's just really digging into the strings with his, with his fingertips. And yeah. It's and even before, even before I found the clip of Rob saying this, I was like, dude, for sure, Cliff looked up to Geezer. There's no way. Oh, dude, there's no Metallica without Sabbath. Yeah. I mean, Sabbath is the fire they were born in. And, you, and there's other things. There are other really sure. important things, you know, ACDC, you know, there's other big stuff. But, man, I, I have some moments when I'm, like, in a Sabbath mood where I'm dipping in, where I'm like, God damn, this is one of the best bands of all time. I know, man. Well, and and even thinking about Cliff, you know, there's a lot of people that, like, kind of pigeonhole him as, like, he's the metal guy, he's the thrash guy, and he was obviously way deeper than that. <clears throat> but a band like Sabbath, to me, makes so much sense for Cliff to love because they're kind of hippie, they're kind of psychedelic, they're metal. For they, sure. They're a lot of things, you know, and that's what Cliff was. I mean, Yeah, the, Cliff, Cliff was kind of a guy that, I feel like the normal metalheads at Ruthie's might have wanted to beat up. Yeah. If, if he wasn't such a obviously powerful, like commanding guy, he's wearing like bell bottoms, all denim, long hair. Yeah. With a misfits tattoo. Yeah. He's into punk rock. He's into Leonard Skinner. Totally. He's into yes. And ZZ top. Like he definitely was not a guy that was like wearing the, the, the outfit of the metalhead. He created, uh, he created an idea of metalhead. Yeah. Cause think about it. When, I mean, in my mind's eye, when I think about kind of 82, 83, 84 metalhead, I kind of think about Cliff and all that denim. Yeah, for sure. That's. But if you go and look at that time and like everyone's wearing battle vests and studded fucking <laughs> bullshit and he was like, nah, I'm good. Yeah, totally. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, man, wa- yeah, watching Geezer play just r- reminded me of Cliff a lot. And I love what Rob got up there and said. It was really cool. Um, no, that is cool. Kirk's playing the black, uh, Jackson V, which is kind of his his uh, D standard guitar these days for Sabbath and stuff like that. James on James on that black and white ESP Explorer, which is rad, and Robert's playing his Jocko bass. It's all fucked up looking and stuff like that. Yeah, um, Geezer's playing a really cool. It, I think it's a GNL. It was tough to t- tough to tell exactly with the headstock. It wasn't a Fender, but it was a P bass. Um, which GNL essentially is let's they kind of look like Fender. Yeah, it's Fender. Well, it's Leo Fender. It was his company right. after Fender, I guess. But um, yeah. But yeah, he sounds great. Um. James is struggling a little bit on this song with the high notes. Yeah. It's a little, I, little tough for him. Too. And, you know, I think if it was, if it was a song they were regularly playing, he would, he would, you know, settle into it and, and probably sound great on it. But yeah, it's definitely, um, not one of his best performances of the night, but overall the band sounded really good. Um, you know what gig we've never really covered that we should cover is when they did that garaging, they did that show. Oh, in New York, I think, right? Was yeah. It I think it was cover a, set? wasn't, it wasn't at Webster. Irving Plaza, maybe, maybe so. Yeah, we'll have to look that up. But uh, they just basically played all of disc one. Hell yeah, I would love to. I would love to do one on that. I mean, it's like ninety eight, so it's like powerful, like vocally. Yeah. I mean, oh, that was James is wearing a tank top or like a wife beater, but in the center of it, like kind of where Iron Man has his thing, he has the 
the Ninja Star logo. Yeah, hell yeah. God damn, it's so cool. I want to watch that right now. Um, all right, so then the man himself, like the the godfather of metal, right? He comes out. Yeah, what's good? James Jason, James says something along the lines of, well, let's bring someone out that can sing, the, sing these songs, you know, because yeah. it's obviously Ozzy. And then, I mean, immediately the crowd knows what's going on, you know? I mean, they start chanting Ozzy. The crowd's getting super pumped up. I notice way more energy at this show in the crowd than the other three shows, especially show two and three. Well, think about it. I mean, Ozzy's the biggest guest of the entire week, right? Yeah. Who's bigger than Ozzy? And even Rob Halford do- doesn't compare to right. Ozzy. Yeah, you've got Ozzy. I think the only other, uh, maybe not biggest guest, but big deal is having Mustaine come out later in the, later yeah, in this Yeah, which set. they would obviously save for the finale. Yes, totally. And Jason. Jason's a pretty big deal as a guest. Jason, but Jason's been there every single night. So it's not as surprising that Jason comes out at, at one right. point. To Ozzy's like a heavy hitter. I mean, and Geezer too. Yeah. But Ozzy, the face of Sabbath. I mean, you've got half a Black Sabbath up there. So then they go into this uh, kind of hybrid of, of Iron Man into Paranoid. A bit of a shortened version of Iron Man. Then they kind of transfer into Paranoid. Ozzy sounds great. He's getting the crowd fucking pumped. He's doing his kind of clappy jump thing and you know well he he i just feel like he doesn't know what to do during the kind of non-singing sections so it's like he'll get done with a line and he's like come on you're back he's screaming at the crowd (laughs) yeah he just does it every time yeah i mean and there's one of my one of my notes is there's a reason he's one of the goats yeah for sure he just you see him on stage and even at this point he was you know what 62 years old probably just sounding great looking cool and just wearing it out man and the band looks so stoked to be standing on stage with those dudes and yeah big time and and honestly let's be real they're probably at least james is probably relieved hey this is the last night we don't have to do this again tomorrow this is a lot of work a lot of a lot of time and effort to put into this so let's have some fun to end it there's nothing like being done being done is some of my favorite feelings yeah because I mean, it's fun to be on stage playing a guitar solo or whatever, but being done and knowing you did a good job, knowing you got mm-hmm. through it, because there's a, it's a lot of responsibility to be a performer. Yeah, for sure. And I think he also really enjoys the vocal breaks. Like any of the times during during these shows when he's been able to just be the guitar player, mm-hmm. I think he's like just digging being like a band guy. Yeah. And I think a lot of front men enjoy that because there's so much pressure on the shoulders of the front men. Absolutely. Yeah. They're the ones having to sell and deliver and interface with the crowd and broker, you know, make a deal yeah and make a handshake with the crowd and they're carrying the band and they're carrying the crowd so man when he gets to just kind of stand in the back and and he's looking over and you got to know that even james hetfield is looking over going that's ozzy osbourne man yeah, on stage with he us. was my hero when i was a kid yeah and he's up there playing with us and he's taking over my duties for two songs like hell yeah, yeah. like he's just in, he gets to enjoy the show like the rest of the uh, crowd yeah which is awesome but um yeah so a couple of my other notes were just you know i reiterating reiterating you know what a badass geezer is and and reminding me of cliff and how the crowd just got way more into this you know at this point in the show because i mean like you said it's like he's the biggest guest of the night of the whole of the whole weekend yeah and you can't really you know there's can't get bigger than ozzy i mean if they'd have brought like mccartney out or something yeah but in like the hard rock metal world i mean even if you had brian johnson come out i mean ozzy's still it's like in the metal world who would even compete brian johnson's a great suggestion bruce Bruce dickinson Dickinson. yeah yeah dio at this point oh actually dio I, i think he'd already passed at this point so what about jimmy page Jimmy Page would have been cool. Ozzy, I, I, you know, in this genre, I think Ozzy's just the king. You know, you can't really. I'm surprised we didn't see Zach Wilde at this thing. Yeah, that would have been or cool. Or the Anthrax guys. Wait, did, wait. Well, no, did Scott, we see Anthrax? Scott was there. Scott, Scott. Uh, I think it was night one. He came up and he he played on Seek and Destroy. He, he, yeah. I think he and was it him and Mike Borden. I think maybe did like a Cliff tribute at the very the first show. Well, he came out with Kirk. Or him Kirk, and Kirk that's told right. Cliff story. That's right. That's who it was. Yeah, that guy Kirk Hammett. Um, no Slayer members, right? No, probably too cool to show up. 
<laughs> they were too busy raining in blood, dude. Yeah, they were too busy at Home Depot buying some some <laughs> some chains. <laughs> um, so equally as exciting, we get Jason coming out next uh, to oh, play yeah. King Nothing, and James intros him. It's it's very brief, but he talks about Jason being at all four shows and. Who here in the crowd's been to all four shows? And then he does a pop ahead joke where he goes, he goes, now who here's tonight? Who who's here tonight? <laughs> you know, which I I I, I laughed at it because I'm in my forties now. I think it's funny. I think it's funny I mean, too. I, we we watch a lot of uh, Guy Fieri at home because it's just sort of soothing and you can sort of not pay attention to it. And the world has kind of decided to hate him, or he's like the Coldplay of food <laughs> food shows. Yeah. Where it's like you put a Coldplay record on, you're like, this record's fucking awesome. Yeah, totally. And uh, we watch like Diners, Drivers, and Dives and Guys Grocery Games. And Isabel gets a kick out of it because he makes a lot of really kind of dumb dad jokes right. and puns. And I literally can't help it. I involuntarily <laughs> laugh out loud. I know. I love that stuff. It's because I just think it's funny. Yeah, for sure. It's totally funny. So for, for James to ask... A show of hands, who's here tonight? I yeah. I love it. I think it's great. I but want he, to thank the Soul Rebels Brass Band for making Metallica sound horny. That's yeah, funny. Love it. Love it. Well, James, in his intro with Jason, uh, which I said is short, uh, he says, you know, he's been kicking maximum ass every night, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, it was it was funny. Uh, there's a camera angle that kind of goes to stage right where Jason's coming up. He's getting his bass handed to him. And at one point, you can see the tech going like, Oh, you need a pick. And then Jason just reaches in his pocket and almost like he has a bunch of change and finds one real quick. It was just yeah. like a funny little, because you and I have been there where you're about to walk on stage. You're like, oh, I got picks on the mic stand, but I want one right now. And you pull out some lint and change and there's a pick buried in there. Yeah. Paul uh, always gives me shit because when I occasionally am able to record over his place, I never have a pick. Yeah. He's like, dude, you're a guitar player. Yeah. What are you doing? You need a pick. He's got, he's got dishes of them over there. I know. I'm like, you're the producer. Just give me a pick. Yeah. You're going you're gonna to give Mike Campbell shit? No, you're just give him a pick. Not that I'm Mike Campbell. But they only make a joke with Jason where he's like, hey, did you see Geezer Butler's strings? He had black strings. He had strings. black strings, exactly. He's like, man, black strings. He's like, that's that's the most metal. <laughs> Jason actually seems like he's in a good, like, this is the first show where Jason seems like he's in a good mood. I, that's my next note is Jason seems way more amped for this show. And I'm telling you, man, he seems, I mean, I, I, I get a vibe about him and I understand more as I get older about why maybe he didn't work in the band. Yes. Yeah. I think he's probably a hard guy to travel with because, and honestly, I think I can be like this. I like, I sympathize with it. Whereas if he's not, if he's not in a happy, happy joy, joy deal, he can probably be tough to be around. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You can kind of just see it. He's just so, in, when he's intense, it's just so intense. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to be honest, James is probably like that too, but James is the, is the big dog. So, yeah, man, there you go. Exactly. You're, no one's going to, you know what I mean? He, no, you don't go higher than him. So Yeah, you can't. It's impossible. That's called spiritual. That's the spiritual math of the band. <laughs> it really is. You were correct. Today's lesson brought to you by Clint Wells. Another thing on this one I put, tempo feels good. You kind of mentioned earlier that... Uh, it felt fast to me. It fe feels fast, but it, it, I felt like it still had a bit of the groove there. Now, Jason okay. definitely starts it off slower. Yeah. It's by himself. I mean, Lars is keeping time in the hat. Once the kick drum comes in... Like the offbeat kick drum thing, it's like okay, they sped Dude, up a here, little bit. Here's what I've learned about this band: I don't know how much any of them pay attention to timing because, honestly, a lot of times Rob is way ahead of the beat. Yeah, I think Rob's just focusing on his parts. Mm -hmm. I mean, definitely, like you know, when they're doing the hat, like right, giving a count on the hat in our world, that is your that is your lifeline. Yeah, and there are times when you know we're in an arena and the sound may be squirrely. Or that time that my amp my amps went out and all I had was my direct guy that wasn't yeah. in my monitor, where I'm just turning around and I'm literally looking at your hi hat. Yeah, exactly. If I can't hear it, like the it, like us locking into that hat is just like it's just the one of the most fundamental parts of what we do. Yeah. 
they don't seem to do much of that. No, like they there's don't. a hat going, but it all seems very like approximate. Yeah. And then a lot of times the hat count will be different than when they come in They're, I mean, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, this, this band is interesting, you know, and they're probably also so used to Lars over the years, kind of fluctuating in tempo yeah. with things where they, it's they, all they know. It's like, a, I've brought it before where, you know, when Lars wasn't at that download show in 04 and Joey Jordanson is playing creeping death, just like the album. But the guys are playing it like they do live with yeah. Lars. And it's kind of weird. It's very weird. It kind of doesn't work. It really doesn't. And and if anything, yeah, those are kick-ass fun performances to watch, but it made me even appreciate those four together even more. It, it's it's part of the magic sauce, man. It really is. It's like, this is another way that the Beatles of metal, and we've talked about this a lot, but like it's the same with Ringo. You know, you could put you could put anyone, you know, put Jim Keltner in there or whoever the fuck. Mm-hmm. In fact, a lot of those guys in their solo records had the opportunity because they were Beatles to work with anyone in the world. Yeah. And like Jim Keltner did, he, Jim Keltner played on Imagine. It, it loses something because the magic of the band was those dudes together with all of their weird idiosyncrasies. Yeah. I've just never been, I've never been one of those guys that wanted to hear Metallica with like cleaner drums. I just, even when I'm like, yeah, they made, they sped this up or the counts are weird or they're really loose in this way or it's just part of what it makes them sound great yeah, to me. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. Uh, James is playing the uh, ESP, the Black Iron Cross on this one. Um, is it the ESP? I couldn't tell. It's not the Gibson. Yeah, I, I, I was I was trying to hone in on it. You can tell the headstock shape is a little different. It's the ESP one. It's a bummer. It is a bummer. Jason killing it on the BGVs on this song. Yes. Re- I mean, this is another moment where you can tell he's just way more enthusiastic about the show. Maybe it's because he knows he's going to sing Whiplash next. I don't know. but Again, curious that he chose King Nothing. I love seeing him play that stuff for sure. Me too. Me too. It's a great baseline. It's really cool. I love that. Which I mean, it's the main riff essentially. And um, yeah. but he yeah, he does a great job on the backup vocals. Kirk's on the mummy guitar. Rob is on his white Fender P bass, which he doesn't play that often. No, comes out every once in a while. And I, whenever he plays that or the jazz, you know, I love especially the P. I'm a huge. That's my favorite bass of all time. But yeah, the really cool looking bass. Um, and then James sounded really cool on that descending kind of guitar part on the bridge. Oh, yeah. I think overall this was a good performance. I thought it was a little yeah. a little quick, but still had some of that feel to it. Now. Next, Whiplash. Band sounds pretty tight. Jason, obviously, was known for kind of singing this song live a lot, you know, throughout the, the eras of the band. Really cool. He, he gets up front. He's got that aggression in his voice. Hadn't lost it. Um, James is doing the background vocals. For sure, you can tell that for sure this is the most fun he's had at all these shows. Yeah. He's up there fronting the band, essentially, you know. For, that was a big moment during, like, Binge and Purge. That was, like, a big Jason moment. Yeah, totally was. Yeah, he's been doing it for years and years at this point. James takes over verse three, which is kind of cool. I just expected, you know, Jason just to finish out the whole song, so James is the last one. I thought it was cool, you know, at the end of it, uh, James says, thank you, Jason, for your contribution to Metallica and showing up here four nights for your friends. Hmm. That was nice. That is nice. A little nice thing. Um, now, moving on, we get Motor Breath featuring Hugh Tanner. And for those that don't know, Hugh Tanner was James's high school friend who was in Phantom Lord with him. And according to James on stage, they wrote Motor Breath together. Which he ain't credited for it. He's not credited for it, but I was like, when I was watching it, I was like, oh. I thought maybe like, yeah, I wrote this song in my old band with Hugh, but this is my song. But no, he was yeah. like, we wrote this together. like Handshake deal. Maybe handshake deal. Um, and he was the one that, you know, introduced James to Lars. So this Hugh guy is kind of important in Metallica history. Motor Breath is the only Metallica song not credited to Lars. Yeah. Yeah, pretty wild. Well, here's why. But not credit to Lars or Hugh Tanner. <laughs> You're right. But James makes some jokes on stage, you know, because this is Lars's favorite story about, you know, this famous story about, you know, jamming the together. Falling. Yeah, the symbol falling over in the early days. And yeah. then what was funny is right when they're starting the song, James gets on the mic real quick and goes, and he goes, watch that symbol. Yeah. Band played pretty tight on the song. Cue 
is uh, just playing the rhythm, and James seems really stoked to have his old buddy up there. I don't know how tight they've been over the years, but pretty cool to see him up there. I think they stay in touch. That's awesome. I mean, I, these shows, I remember thinking this when, when I was first digging down on YouTube after these shows actually happened and just thinking, like, man, they really left very few stones unturned to, to bring people up that have any involvement in Metallica, and especially in the early days. Like, I, like having Hugh Tanner, it's like we went to high school together. We played in a band together, but he's the reason me and Lars met. You know, it's like right. those little details are really cool. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a few, there's a few notable, like, you know, Brian Slagle. I don't think you see him anywhere. He was there, but um, Johnny Z, Marsha, uh, Michael Alago. I mean, maybe all, Lloyd Grant. Like, maybe all these people were there, but yeah, thinking about on stage. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously Lloyd Grant was on stage, but I, at one point he he talks. I don't we'll get to it, but he talks. He addresses Brian Slagle up in the balcony. Ah, right. So I wonder if they had like a you know, had like a VIP area up there. Yeah, I wonder if guys like did. Alago and all those and Zazulos were up there. And surely management was there. Surely, oh uh, yeah, those two nerds were there. Cliff and uh, who's the other guy? Peter Mitch. Peter Mitch. Yeah. But if you're pulling up Hugh Tanner on stage, I'd imagine they'd at least reached out to people like Alago and Zazula and stuff like that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But moving on. Uh, so here's the, the one of the probably second most exciting things besides Ozzy coming on stage is getting to see Mustaine perform with the band for the first time in 28 years. Yeah. So a big deal. You know, I remember when I first heard about this, I was like, oh, my God, he's actually on stage with them playing. So he comes out for Phantom Lord. James intros him, says something really cool. Says he carved his own way with his own attitude, his own sound, and his amazing songwriting. What happened yesterday is long gone. What happened, what's happening right now is what matters. And then he says, we got to do some Kill 'em All, obviously. Ultimate Olive Branch. Yeah. Someone may want to remind Dave that what happened yesterday is long gone. <laughs> Um, clearly yeah. not, but, um, did you see that the artist who did his new album is suing him? Yeah. He's suing Megadeth, uh, which is Dave. Um, he didn't get paid or something. There, there was like a slight discussion on discord this morning, right before we started recording this. And, uh, basically there was no contract in place. So I immediately was like, well, this guy's kind of a dummy for not moving forward as a graphic designer and have nothing signed of what you're going to get paid, what the due date is, revisions, all that kind of stuff. Now, you and I don't have contracts for a lot of music stuff. We do, but we know and trust people, and it just depends on the situation. But he had, I guess he had done the artwork for the last two Megadeth records, but I don't know if these guys are, like, buddies with him, him and Dave are buddies, or what the details of it are. But he's basically seeking compensation. He's not he's claiming he's not uh, didn't get any credit, like, on the album and stuff like that. So... I don't know. I, I read a, a, a blabbermouth article about it this morning, and um, but he's basically seeking compensation for all these things. And apparently, he wasn't done with it yet, or there was supposed to be more revisions. And all of a sudden, the next day, like the single came out with the artwork that he did, and he didn't know, and all this stuff. So who knows? I don't really care about it that much, I guess. But I have been talking about it for the last three minutes. So. <laughs> um, on Phantom Lord, I, I've noted everyone's playing pretty tight. Dave's lead sound pretty good. Yeah. Um, it's the full version of Phantom War where they do the what is normally the, the acoustic the guitar bridge. part. Yeah, yeah, which I think it's a really cool part. I do too. James on the is on the electric V replica. Kirk's on the red Gibson V. Then they jump in, uh, jump into Jump in the Fire. And then James says, uh, I'm sorry, Lars actually on the mic says, this is the first song Dave brought to us. He had a band before called Panic. And there were a couple things that Dave showed James and I. So this was one of the things that obviously Mustaine wrote. He has he does have credit for it on the record. Um, good tempo, band sounds good. He co-wrote Phantom Lord too. Mm-hmm. Phantom Lord, exactly. Um, and Metal Militia. Yeah, which is, I'm guessing this is why the three songs are on that. I thought it was really interesting. At one point, Kirk goes over to kind of rock with Dave. Not sure how Dave felt about it because Dave kind of keeps to himself on stage, right? Yeah, he. I agree. He 
he's got his head down. Now these are hard songs to play, yeah. and I'm sure he. I'm sure that he wanted to do a good job because, I mean, I'm convinced psychologically that he's just wanting to please these guys. Yeah. I think I think almost every strange way he's acted out over the years has been him trying to basically please his daddy, James Hetfield, mm-hmm. or his older brother, James Hetfield, his his older brother, Lars Ulrich. Yeah. I, think, I don't think he gives a hot fuck about Kirk. So I do think this was a moment where... I think he was thinking, I really want to play great mm-hmm. and justify being here. I, I want to be the great guitar player I know. You know what I mean? I think he was kind of charged. Right. Yeah. So it doesn't look like he's loose and having fun. He looks heavily concentrated. Business. I don't know. Does James ever try to rock with him? Uh, I mean, at one point, at one point in your militia, like Dave comes over towards James. They kind of rocked it a little bit. Dave, even in a Megadeth show, like when he's playing a solo, like he, he kind of has that same vibe. Yeah. Hair in That's his kind face, of his down. performance style. Totally is. But I thought it was interesting. I wonder, if, like, because, you know, it's like, even though it's at this point, you know, 20 years later, it's like, you know, the guy that took my job is coming over here to rock with me. Right. You know, and, and it's a guy. Well, that, and let's face it. He's not a guy that gets over shit. Exactly. So totally. I'm sure it was very charged up for him in, in a lot of ways. I mean, I think it was for all of them. Yeah, it was. You know, but Kirk, like, you know, they look like he was having a good time over there because you don't have to worry about the solos and stuff like that. He And Dave did kind of chunk the solo at the, at the very, very top of it. It wasn't it wasn't like you know showstopper or anything like that but uh, yeah, yeah. I, overall he plays really good i mean on, I, I agree on metal militia um this is when james was kind of trying to hit those really high notes still yeah and it it, it it doesn't come off great uh they were a little sloppy on the bridge this is the only one that got kind of loose dave solo is just a little sloppy but it's just non-stop shred fest like he's just going crazy yeah he kind of turns it a little bit into like guitar center and whereas i don't know it could have been a little more fun uh-huh because it's one thing to kind of boof it if you're kind of having fun. Yeah. So I think the booth it, if you're like heavily concentrated on it. Yeah. And I think, I think the overall, you're right. And I think the overall thing that I'm taking away from Mustaine being up there is just the special moment that really is other than like the big four shows, everyone doing am I evil together. Other than that, like this is the most unique special thing. Like you never thought would ever come. It's like, holy shit, Dave Mustaine's on stage with Metallica. And when they get to hit the lights, Ron McGovern's up there. So you literally have the original, original formation of Metallica on stage together. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's very symbolic. I mean, it's very intentional and yeah. a, a big deal for all of us to see it. Right. I mean, and, I, and kudos to everyone involved. Kudos to Metallica for the invitation. Kudos to Dave for accepting. Yeah, for sure. And being a good sport. And, you know, unfortunately, we're 10, 11, 12 years beyond it. And we kind of know the story didn't quite turn out like a fairy tale. But, <laughs> exactly, yeah. But it is like a cool gesture. And, and I think you're right. I was thinking about like, what are the other moments like that? And the big four shows are another example of mm-hmm. something like really sort of symbolically significant for people who love that era of music. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I, I remember getting a text from a friend like the morning after this this night four. It was like, dude, Mustaine was on stage with them. Because, you know, I had Twitter, but I wasn't like glued to it or anything. And I was like, yeah. holy shit, he was on, like, he did three songs with them. Like, oh, my God. Like, it was such big news in the Metallica world. Right. And, uh, right. and he, stayed, he stayed on stage for a fourth song. And they, so the last one, before they do their, their big jam of Seek and Destroy, we hit the lights. We get Dave and we get Ron McGovern and Lloyd Grant, which is really cool. Right. Um, Lars intros Ron and Lloyd. And Lars, Lars uh, tells a story about Lloyd Grant being the first person he played music with in America. And Lloyd was the very first guy to answer his ad in The Recycler. Wow. And most people know that uh, Lloyd played all the leads on Hit the Lights from the original Metal, Metal Massacre recording. And at that point, Lars looks up to the balcony and thanks Brian Slagle and says, thank you for following through uh, with putting us on your compilation album. 
everyone looks like they're having a good time. Dave looks a little bit bored, but then he's because he's kind of he's kind of just well, he's doing his head down thing, you know. He's like, and he he's like noticeably off to stage right by the amps, where there's like a big gap, you know. And then stage left is really crowded because you got everybody else over there, basically. Right. But at one point, he kind of walks over, and him and James are playing together, which is really cool to see. And it, it, I don't know if you noticed this, if you got to it, but it almost sounded like Lloyd Grant started the solo in the wrong key. Uh, no, I didn't get to hit the lights. I, I okay. bailed after uh, Metal Militia. He settles in pretty quick. I mean, he's a ripper guitar player. He's playing like this cool, like uh, Les Paul studio. Okay. Um, kind of all black, chrome hardware guy. Um, my only note on Rama Gavini, he's just back there minding his own business. Yeah. Because he like he doesn't come up to rock with anybody. He's got the old school original Metallica logo shirt on. The, the coolest part about him being there, besides just his presence, is he's playing that bass that you see in all those photos. I, I presumably the one that Dave poured beer into. It's the one he corrected us about too, right? Yeah, it's like he, the Explorer bass of whatever brand it is. He did correct yeah. us on Twitter about that. You know, he told us like years ago he wants to be on the show. Yeah, um, but we got to do it in person because he's got hearing. Yeah. He's got some hearing loss, and he he mostly reads lips. He's in North Carolina, I think. Yeah, he's in North Carolina. Are we going through there? We're, we playing North Carolina. We play Asheville twice. We were just Are we there doing last week. Two weekend. shows at that place. Uh, I believe so. Two, oh God! Two, yeah, that place sucks. God. But uh, hey, maybe Ron wants to come to Asheville and hang. I wonder where he, I can't remember where he is. I don't know. Uh, someone emails his address, and we'll post on our socials so everyone can go to his house. And I'll I'll reach him. out to him today and see what he says. <laughs> yeah, that'd be. We fun. also have another big guest that is cool, like wants to be on the show. Maybe we shouldn't say who that is. Yeah. And it's just a matter of finding time to do it. I know. It's a little tough, yeah. It's tough to find time between the time change between here and Vail, Colorado, where James lives. Oh, <laughs> shit. I said it. I know. Well, it's hard <laughs> to find time to do the interview with James when we're, like, just out hitting the slopes together and, like, really, yeah. truly bonding over, like, a fire pit and a nice, a nice cigar. I know. Like, there's just been so much deep friendship being born. I know. That to find the time to, like, ask him. I, I did tell Avi when I was hanging with Avi in town recently we were talking about another band. We we're talking about Lennon, John Lennon. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, his last major interview was with, um, you know, it's back when Playboy actually did like legitimate journalistic and, in, you know, interviews. Right. And there was a journalist named David Sheff who conducted the last major interview with John and Yoko. It's like, you know, John was killed on December 8th, 1980. And this interview was like October. Wow. And one of the things the interviewer does that I love, and it's one of the best reads. I mean, they, they do a f- normal kind of interview where they talk about politics and music and Beatles. But one of the coolest things he does is he's like, hey, every song is Lennon McCartney, but I want to go through each Beatles song and get like one sentence on who wrote it or your thoughts about it. And he, dude, he just goes through the whole discography Wow. where he's like, I'll follow the sun, you know, uh, here, there and everywhere. He just names them. And it's just John's obviously John is like super well known for his wit, quick wit, super funny incisive and he just sort of gives a one sentence response to like all of their songs wow i gotta check that out it's called all we are saying cool the last major interview with with john and yoko and it was a playboy interview but it's in a book now i'm sure you can find it online yeah blah 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 but i told avi i was like you know i'd really love to do and I, and I, avi and i have had this talk where i'm like listen dude you are my friend and i will never use our friendship to try to get closer to metallica and in fact I never talk about Metallica to Avi. Mm-hmm. It is very rare. Yeah, sure. I never mind him for information because partly I don't want him to get in trouble for some reason. And I also am not interested in him for that reason. I just generally have become friends with him. But we were talking about it. I said, you know, I, my goal is if I ever talk to James is to kind of do something similar. I was like, first of all, I want to camp out and load and reload, obviously. But I'd love to just get 
a one line, one to two lines on each song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I think that would get particularly interesting with Mustaine co-writes. Like, I, I want to hear what he has to say about Motor Breath. Yeah, for sure. Like, who wrote Motor Breath? Mustaine claims he wrote all of Jump in the Fire, that it was fully formed when he came to the band. Yeah. I'm interested in, like, To Live is to Die. I'm interested in, definitely interested in what he has to say about Escape. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> But think about what he would say if you were just get if you got some breathing room and you put a little oxygen into the conversation around Mama said. Yeah, for sure. I would love to hear deep stuff on that. Anyway, a little tidbit that might be coming up in the future. Where were we? Sorry, are we doing Seek and Destroy? We're, we're wrapped up. I mean, we will. Everyone knows Seek and Destroy. It's it's the same deal. Everyone that was there that night comes out on stage, has a good time. The brass band's up there. It's a big party. They're in the show, and thus concludes the four, four excuse me thirtieth anniversary shows. All four nights, we can close the casket on this. We went kind of long again. Every time we start these, I'm like, you know, we're going to try to make these episodes shorter. But I, here's the deal. <laughs> I enjoy hanging out with you. I enjoy our podcast. Right. I enjoy talking about my favorite metal band of all time. And uh, even though I've got a camping trip to drive to, I was feeling loose and feeling good about it. No one can really see this right now because I can only see Clint, but he's actually getting into his sleeping bag right now. He's just going to put it on before he drives to the campsite. Yeah, well, my camping trip is, um, the good news is the drive's not far because it's at my house. Perfect. Yeah, we're going to camp out. Well, now that you're moving, you got plenty of space to camp. Uh, anytime I get a new piece of gear, like I got a new tent last year, like a really cool new marmot tent. And I did, me and Nova would have like, we would camp out in the living room. That's awesome. Um, I wanted to camp out in the backyard, but she was a little too freaked out about it. Yeah. Uh-huh. And that also just feels kind of weird to be like sort sort of uncomfortable outside when your house is right there. <laughs> right. <laughs> a friend of mine, we do a thing called Freeze Fest where we do a cold camp every January. We couldn't go because me and you were out rocking in the free world. That's right. We always go like two hours out and we do like a Freeze Fest. Like last last time we did Freeze Fest, it snowed on us while we were camping. Yeah, awesome. It's real cold and real kind of uncomfortable, but kind of awesome too. There's like 15 of us. This year he did Freeze Fest. That he just bought a cabin out by the water in Mount Juliet and they did Freeze Fest at his house. And I was like, dude... I don't know if I can go camping at your house. Like, so they camped on his property? Yeah, like he's got property, but he also had like rooms in his house because a couple of our friends are pregnant. Yeah. And so they, he was like, he offered the bedrooms to them. And like, you could set up like your sleep system inside if you wanted to be inside. And I was like, ah, it's just going to be weird to be like cold camping in a tent in your front yard when my house is 20 minutes away. Yeah, it's like part of, part of the joy of camping and the fun of camping is knowing that you can't just run inside real quick. Yeah, yeah, like you, can't, you make sure you have good gear, but once you're out there, you're kind of out there. Yeah, you're committed for sure. So anyway, I'm excited. I do want to go camping with you someday. I, I know Johnny wants to do it also. I know. Well, listen, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm not opposed to throwing a, a hammock in my suitcase for this tour in case there's an opportunity. Yeah. Who was it that gave us hammocks last year? We Someone gave us some, some nice hammocks. Some festival, yeah. I, I still have it, yeah. I would love to go camping on the road. If, they, if there's a way to do it for one night or whatever, I'm totally down. Well, let's do, um, let's let the people go. It's been a long episode. Thank you everyone for listening. We really do appreciate you guys so much. Consider joining the Patreon if you can. And if you can't, no big whoop. We are grateful everyone listens. Tell a buddy about the podcast. Maybe mention us on your socials and we'll retweet it or whatever the fuck. And sign up for those Metal Tales if you're a patron. If you want to come on the show, you've heard those before. We make it very easy. Some people get a little freaked out about being on a podcast or about telling their story or they're worried that maybe they're going to come off a certain way. Ethan and I, really work hard to, first of all, edit those episodes to make you sound as good as possible. It's a priority for us to make you feel comfortable. Yeah, so for sure. if you're worried about being on the show, don't. That's silly. 
be a part of the show. That's one of the perks you get over there. And uh, we are just glad everyone is still on the ride with us. And there's a lot of good shit coming up with this new album and this new cycle. Oh, yeah. I love your idea about next week doing like the songs we want to see the most on this tour. Let's, Let's do definitely it. do that. Absolutely. I'd love to. All right. Well, hopefully a bear doesn't eat me um, on this camping trip. And I'll see you all <laughs> next week on the flippity flop. Love you guys. Take care of yourselves. Take care of your families. Your families need you. And you need to be healthy in order to take care of your families. We'll see you on that flip flop. Peace. Adios. <laughs> If you were our advisor, what would you say? Then I would say, delete that.